Night Owl Live, the show for PC users who can handle the truth. And now, here's your host, Gene Steinberg. This week, we bring back Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine, who, during Apple's shareholder meetings, had a chance to ask some questions of Steve Jobs. We'll learn more about that. We'll hear from Stephen Baker of the NPD Group on Apple, the iPhone 4S, and other trends in the personal technology industry. Then we'll hear from Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine about the iPhone 4S, about the problems with research in motion and the failure this week of their BlackBerry email network. All this and more this week on the Tech Night Owl Live. <laughs> Returning with us is Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine. Now, as you listeners know, if you heard last week's show, and we sure hope you did, Daniel was on to talk about the iPhone 4S, about Apple's media event. But not too many hours after we did that episode, we got the sad news that Steve Jobs had died at the age of 56, of complications from pancreatic cancer. Now, Daniel, we know that you've had a chance to talk to him at Apple shareholder meetings, but before that, when did you hear the news? When did I hear the news that he'd passed away? Yeah. I was working and got a call, phone call. So I don't have a dramatic moon landing type story about it, but it was one of those things that everyone kind of knew that he had a limited amount of time left. And Yet, there was a hope that he would kind of struggle through things. I mean, I, I always felt, I mean, I, I saw he looked really bad, you know. There was still a hope that he would struggle through things like he had before. I mean, he'd gone through surgery, gone through a liver transplant, and having been through, you know, minor surgeries of my own, I know that takes a lot out of you. And there was still a hope that he was going to bounce back and live out a very long Willy Wonka legendary period of leading Apple in kind of a secondary role. So it was, you know, it wasn't out of the blue that he had died. It was kind of a shock that you're prepared for, that you know it was, you know in the back of your mind that it was possible to happen, but it was still... Well, still a surprise, I bet. I guess a disappointment or a surprise? Well, intellectually kind of a disappointment, feeling like, oh, this is not how I wanted things to happen, but also kind of... You know, you had that emotional feeling of not necessarily having a rational reason for for feeling that way, but you feel it anyway. Well, one of the things here is apparently they knew for quite a few weeks that he was close to the end. Certainly when the gentleman who wrote that authorized biography visited him several weeks ago, he was staying in a downstairs bedroom at his home because he was too weak to go upstairs. Right. Certainly, that's something that was pretty significant. Also, that Apple had notified the police in Palo Alto, where his home was located, last week to expect that he may pass on soon, so they needed to be prepared in case you had the paparazzi would be lurking. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, people who, of course, his family is aware of what's going on. Um, Jobs... On one hand, I mean, he was a showman from from being when he was in his 20s. He knew how to present things. And at the same time, even though he he certainly relished attention when it was when it was kind of like good attention for being a great product that he was showing off. And he, he, he you know, that was his that was his sweet spot. That was where he was really good at. I mean, one of the places he was really good at. Um, but he didn't like 
really celebrity. Well, a lot of times the people who the people who are celebrities inherently they're not always outgoing except within the confines of being the celebrity playing that role. They can be very shy in person, although obviously Steve Jobs could be overbearing as an executive and the way he handles people. But sometimes, and I take this from maybe a little bit of my background, and I don't claim to be anything like Steve Jobs, you overcompensate. Well, a lot of celebrities, a lot of people who really need to be famous need to be famous because they didn't get enough attention as a child from their parents. And so they they compensate, like you're saying, by needing a lot of one-way attention. They need a lot of people giving them attention, and it has to be an audience that they don't care about because that makes it worth even more to get attention from people who you're not giving attention back to. And it's kind of messed up, but that's just how it is. Um, There's other people, I mean, if you look at your friends, there's all kinds of people in the world that, that don't need attention at all and don't even like attention. There's some people that are really talented, you know, ability to play music or something like that. They don't have any desire to go in front of a, an audience and play it because they don't need or want attention. Um, Jobs was somebody who enjoyed attention. I mean, he, he, liked, he, he liked generating attention, but it wasn't all about him. So when you see him presenting things, you know, from the first Mac in 1984 – to Next Step, to Mac OS ten, to you know all the things that he showed off. It was all focused on the product. It was look at this awesome product that this team created. And you know, initially there were times when he kind of like suggested that it was sort of his work. You know, when he when he showed off the original Macintosh, it was kind of like saying that it was you know called him his father kind of thing. But he worked really hard to present the effort of the team that he of the products he was showing off. And it wasn't this is you know. I'm Moses here. I'm bringing water from the Flinty Rock. It was, you know, here's this great product that, that Apple has produced. And it wasn't saying, I'm Steve Jobs, I'm great. It is, this is what we did, and this is why we think you'll believe it's great. Yeah, and he didn't really care for having throngs of people showing him attention. So there was not that celebrity thing of, I need a bunch of attention from a lot of people who I don't care about. And it, that's really reflected in the way that, you know, people would write him. He would just get tons of email all the time and he would regularly write back to people i mean how many ceos do that how many companies do that but he had this interest and he he liked to see how people responded to projects and that's that's what you see and and it's kind of uh, mistaken for celebrity but he wasn't really a celebrity even though he knew how to present himself i mean he had this kind of image of who he was um but it wasn't this kind of phony put upon you know show show tunes kind of image it was i mean it was just really real at the same time i think there are people who really want really want attention who wanted his attention and occasionally they got snubbed because i mean i've seen a number of occasions some of which people have contacted me about uh where they had some idea that they wanted jobs to do and they just had this in their mind that they were going to walk in, show Jobs some interface thing, and he was just going to be like, oh, man, you are such a genius. I'm going to like put your paper, put your face on the wall and make you famous and rich and whatever. And Jobs looked at his, their stuff and said, okay, thanks. We don't, we're not interested, basically. Or thanks, and, it's crap. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in some cases, he would – I think he was more likely to tell employees that their work was crap because that was kind of a motivation to, to do better. Whereas when people came in with some external idea, it was more like, okay, no thanks. I mean, he was, he was pretty cool about certain things. I mean, there were, there were certain 
areas where, like, uh, when friends would bring him ideas of things that they were doing, and he would tell them, okay, no, that's, that's not, that's crap. When, when he brought the Segway, he showed Jobs a Segway, and everybody else was saying, oh, yeah, this is going to change the world. Mailmen are going to deliver the mail on this thing. And Jobs said, why didn't you have a designer do it? This looks like crap. And it did. He was just very honest. I mean, and, and very, um, not trying to say the thing that was right, but just saying it, saying the truth. And that came across in a lot of ways. And some people really resented that. Like this one guy that presented this idea to him called me after the fact and, and gave me this whole story. But he wanted me to, like, tear Jobs apart and, you know, basically tear him down for, you know, rejecting this idea that he had. And it was just like, really? <laughs> Where's the meat of your complaint, you know? Well, the other thing is here, where is it written that Steve Jobs should accept anyone's idea, even if it's a good idea and he thinks it might be, he still has to say, well, it could be a good idea, but now I have to see if we need to do that and then if we're willing to spend the money to develop that, make the commitment. There's a lot of issues. It's not just, I like it. There's a lot more involved there, and we'll get to a lot more with Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and Apple Insider. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. Hey, folks. In today's fast-paced work environment, getting everyone in the same room for a meeting can be challenging, especially when they work in different locations. And that's why I use GoToMeeting with HD Faces by Citrix. It is amazing. You can collaborate online by sharing your presentation. While seeing colleagues face-to-face in high definition, they can hide their blemishes. Video quality is so clear and natural, it's like being in the same room. And all you need is an internet connection with a webcam it's that easy. So here's what I can do. For example, on the Paracast, which I host with my friend Chris O'Brien, we live in different locations. We need to share something, a document or something like that. All I have to do is call him up with GoToMeeting, and I say, Chris, take a look at this, and he said he's ready to go. You can try GoToMeeting with HD Faces free for 30 days. Visit GoToMeeting.com, click the Try It Free button, enter the promo code PODCAST, use the promo code PODCAST. Hello again. I hope all is well. This is John Swenson at Midas Resources, 800-686-2237, extension 128. We are source for gold and silver. Not much has changed since we last spoke. The economy remains in the tank. Unemployment is a national disaster, and there's zero leadership in Washington. Experts tell us that the stock market is headed towards 7,000. The deficit will continue to climb. Still, gold is expected to go to 2000 by the first quarter. That had put silver back nearing 50 bucks. Frankly, Scarlet, there are no solid options available beyond precious metals. Please give me a call, John Swenson, 800-686-2237, extension 128, for an informative, no-pressure conversation. John Swenson, 800-686-2237, extension 128, and I look forward to hearing from you. Are you tired of spending money for metal canning lids year after year? Then stop! 
Stop buying metal lids and get Tatler reusable canning lids. Made of USDA and FDA-approved food-grade plastic, Tatler canning lids let you safely store emergency preparedness foods for years. Traditional metal lids are single-use throwaways that contain BPA, but Tatler canning lids are indefinitely reusable and guaranteed to last a lifetime when used as designed for home canning and contain no BPA. Tatler lids are dishwasher safe, perfect for standard pressure or water bath canning, eliminate food spoilage from acid corrosion, fit standard mason jars, and are proudly made in the USA. Place orders by phone at 877-747-2793 or go to reusablecanninglids.com. That's 1-877-747-2793 or go to reusablecanninglids.com. That's reusablecanninglids.com. Tatler Reusable Canning Lids, the original since 1976. Did you know nuclear radiation is still spewing out of the melted-down reactors in Fukushima, Japan, and making its way across the entire U.S. continent, contaminating the air, water, and food? Dangerously high levels of radiation are a reality here. As a result, radiation poisoning is a distinct possibility for anyone living in the U.S., unless you do something to protect yourself. How? With Liquid Zeolite from RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Without a doubt, Liquid Zeolite is by far the best product to remove radiation from your body. It safely removes toxins. Toxins and heavy metals, boosts energy levels, and promotes a strong immune system. Liquid Zeolite is so powerful it was used to clean up contamination in Chernobyl, yet so gentle you won't even know you're taking it. Liquid Zeolite comes with a money-back guarantee, but is only available at RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Learn how to get free bottles of Liquid Zeolite by calling 800-880-9976. That's 800-880-9976. Or go to RestoreYourHealthNow.com. That's RestoreYourHealthNow.com. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. And don't forget, you can visit the famous Tech Night Owl community forums at forum.technightowl.com. Get in on all the action. That's forum.technightowl.com. We're back with Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com. You're listening to the Tech Night Out Live. And as we speak, as we record this episode of the Tech Night Out Live, I am busy upgrading my iPhone 4, not a 4S, an iPhone 4 to iOS 5. And we'll talk about iOS 5 later. But right now we're talking about Steve Jobs, about his encounters with Steve Jobs, but first about how other people confronted Steve Jobs. And I was saying before that jobs may just say we're not interested in a product, not because the product is necessarily bad, but it doesn't fit. For Apple, it's not worth their investment for whatever reason. Now, for example, if we go back to history, there are times when Apple accepted projects others didn't. When Tony Fidel tried to bring the concept of the iPod around to different companies, they said no, Apple said yes. Um, I'm not a aware of a lot of the history behind that, the inside history. Um, one example of Jobs saying no is OpenDoc. There's a video of online, I'm sure it's on YouTube, of in 1997, Jobs was on stage at Macworld answering questions, or, or maybe it was WW, it was probably WWDC, because he was talking to developers. And he wasn't yet the CEO, and he was in this advisory role under, under Gill. At the time, I think he was still saying that he wasn't really interested in running the company, but there was this kind of glint in his eye that he was. I mean, he would like to save this company. And there were a lot of, he saw the value and saw a lot of good people in it and was working really hard to help. 
the then chief executive run Apple and turn it around. One of the things that came up was that he had killed OpenDoc. I mean, he'd, he'd helped kill OpenDoc, a number of things at Apple that weren't, didn't have a future. And there were a lot of people that really invested in OpenDoc, developers. By 1997, it was pretty clear that OpenDoc wasn't going to work. And basically what it was, was it was a container architecture that allowed you to write bits of software that could work together. So instead of writing a whole application, you would write something that does something. You write, for example, this is the browser, this is the email client, this is the word processor, and this is the spreadsheet. It's kind of like taking <laughs> taking iWork, which is the component parts, but making those component parts component parts. Well, on a on a conceptual level, it sounds really good. And if you talk to somebody who doesn't know anything about computers, it's like, wow, that sounds like a great idea. But the problem is people didn't want to buy components. People don't, even, people don't like to buy software in general. So the only way to really sell software is to package it up in a you know, significant package enough to where they'll pay a little bit for you know, a whole bunch of functionality. They're not going to pay for individual features. And the software industry got real excited about it, and then it kind of became clear that, first of all, it wasn't going to work. Second of all, it was supposed to be something that everybody was doing. It was something that I believe IBM and Apple, and it was supposed to work in Windows too, kind of, and it just started collapsing, and Apple was kind of holding the bag. It was sort of like PowerPC. It was like this great idea that you know ended up Apple kind of being proprietary to Apple because everyone else dropped it. And so Jobs was kind of like, yeah, we obviously have to drop this. This is not going to work. We can't pursue something that we're the only ones doing it. It just doesn't make any sense, in addition to the fact that it's not working. And it's becoming a mess. I mean, it was just technically the project was a mess. And it's interesting to see the response of somebody in the audience who was clearly invested in OpenDoc and just cuts into jobs like really rudely. I mean, just basically telling him that he doesn't know what he's doing and that he's a jerk. And Well, that really is going to help. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, people just people respond kind of out of frustration and irritation but i mean he, he viewed jobs as just being like you know he's just some dumb guy that comes in and kills a bunch of stuff that he's working on and the, the response to people who work with adobe flash is very similar their response and just kind of personal hatred of steve jobs because he basically killed flash for everybody <laughs> um but that kind of response is just, you know, it's kind of like this childish knee-jerk response to things not going the way you want them to. But what was interesting is how Jobs responded to the guy. Because the guy basically just said, you're stupid. You don't know what you've been doing. And what have you, been, what have you done in the last seven years? It's basically saying you're a failure. And Jobs was, to a lot of technical people, Next had been a failure because it wasn't selling boxes. And a lot of people didn't know about Pixar. And it looked like he had been kind of a failure out of Apple 10 years prior. So to people who didn't really know what was going on in the industry really well, Jobs was just kind of like somebody who had been something at one point in time and now was just kind of floating along. When in reality, Jobs is doing a lot of amazing stuff. And the market just didn't get it yet. Mac OS X was the second coming of Next Step. Most of the technology, there was a lot of cool stuff that didn't actually was dropped to produce Mac OS X. Um, came out, started coming out in 1988. I mean, this was like really way ahead of everything. And that's what Jobs was doing. And there was a lot of, you know, the anti-competitive air that was there regarding Microsoft in the 1990s just prevented anyone from producing a competent product and selling it 
in a competitive marketplace because there just wasn't any competition. There wasn't any option for competition. And Microsoft was making sure that that was the way things were going to stay. And But just to seeing how Jobs responded to that really you know, provocative kind of slashing question because the guy was you know, invested in OpenDoc was telling because Jobs could have turned around and said, you know, I'm, I'm a freaking multimillionaire. He was probably a billionaire at that point. I'm running a bunch of stuff. I'm I'm kind of volunteering to run Apple because I care about it, not because I make a lot of money. And you're talking to me. You're you're developing some stupid technology because you're an idiot. I mean, that's what he could have said, but he didn't say that. So when people describe Jobs being this like horrible jerk that just like can't talk to people, makes me wonder. And I've actually seen uh, the shareholder meeting in, I think, 2007 was the first one that I had attended at Apple. Well, let's go do a little background here now. Normally, most journalists do not buy stock in Apple except maybe one or two shares to be able to attend the shareholder meetings and get the various literature. No, you don't have to, you don't have to actually own shares to attend the shareholder meetings Okay, media. Okay. So basically, if you hold stock, that's your decision. There's no other constraint. Right. No, I mean, you, the, the difference is if you attend the shareholder meeting in the past, if you attended the shareholder meetings as media, they would put you in the overflow room automatically so you could watch. Um, and the whole point of that was to allow shareholders to kind of voice their concerns instead of it just being a media circus. And it kind of turned into a media circus anyway. Remember, it was always about Greenpeace or there was you know unions or whatever, people having some kind of political thing, people that didn't like Al Gore or whatever. They would attend the meetings and, and kind of turn the meeting from here's the concerns of shareholders into um, here's you know some political thing that I want to throw out there and, and we'll get – attention because it's happening at something related to Apple. So, I mean, they were trying to kind of prevent that from happening as much. It wasn't like, let's interview the executive staff, which is doesn't happen very often. And Apple isn't, I don't think any company, um, No, most companies don't do that, I don't think. You can't necessarily go to a shareholder meeting and, and interview the executive team. Not ordinarily, unless they have a special press conference. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and Apple Insider. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Ray Perkins. A reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockoids. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, Attack. Of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. 
What happened, man? You used to be energetic, happy, and wow, did the ladies love you. Now, you fall asleep on the couch, irritable, and out of shape. Don't be that guy. Call now for a risk-free trial of Ageless Male, a natural supplement shown to raise testosterone by 50% and maintain healthy, normal levels. No injections, no appointments. With healthy testosterone levels, you can feel that energy again, that great outlook again, and yes, even a healthy sex drive. Right now, you can try Ageless Male risk-free. There's nothing to lose, guys. If you're a man who's noticed changes in your body, your mood, your sex life, call now for a risk-free trial of Ageless Male. Be the guy you used to be. Just call 1-888-246-0623. Don't wait another day. Just call 1-888-246-0623. Again, 1-888-246-0623. If you owe money to the IRS, you can't make the problem go away by yourself. But with the help of Dan Pilla, you can get your problem solved once and for all. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. For 30 years, I've helped thousands of people solve their tax debt problem, and I can help you solve yours, too. We take a very simple but proven three-step approach to solving your problem. First, we stabilize IRS collection actions so you don't have to worry about the IRS seizing your bank account or paycheck. Next, we build a comprehensive plan to get your tax debt reduced to the fullest extent possible, sometimes even completely eliminated. And finally, we work with you every step of the way to get your problem solved once and for all. Call us for a free consultation. Call 1-800-346-6829. We'll work together to get your problem solved guaranteed. Dan Pilla has been protecting taxpayers from the IRS for three decades, and he can help you too. Call us today at 800 800- 346-6829. That's 800-34-NO-TAX. This is Alex Jones with five good reasons you should consider buying a solar power generator. Number one, new climate legislation could easily double or triple your electric bill. Number two, our new energy czar wants to control how much power your electric company allows you to have. It's true. Total government control of electricity in the name of smart grid technology is coming. Number three, in some areas of the country, the power grid is dangerously overloaded. And now, new socialist legislation is only compounding the problem. Number four, dangerous weather is always a threat to local grids. Every year, thousands of families lose their power from weather-related outages. Number five, a solar power generator provides powerful backup insurance and peace of mind. Folks, I really believe in the solar power generators offered by Solutions from Science, one of my oldest sponsors. You can get more information at www.mysolarbackup.com. That's mysolarbackup.com. Remember, the government doesn't own the sun, so go to mysolarbackup.com or call 1-877-327-0365. Live with Gene Steinberg, it's the Tech Night Owl, because you never know what's going to happen next. With Daniel Aaron Dilger of Luffley Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night on Live. And we're talking about Apple's board meetings, about the things you can do and the things you can't do. But normally here, journalists don't normally buy stock in a company because it felt that that affects your objectivity. So what's your take? Uh, well, I'm not really a journalist. I mean, I wasn't at the time. I was a blogger. And I was writing about what I thought was interesting. And I had always found Apple interesting, and I didn't write about them as, a, as if I was writing for CNET or something like that, where I had some biased interest that I was trying to promote among a group of 
you know, a, a, in a venue where I should be a, an unbiased journalist. I was writing just what I thought about things. So that's really different. When um, somebody at Adobe blogs about Flash, it's not that they're biased. It's that obviously they work, they work for Adobe and that's how they see it. And it's interesting to see their opinion. If somebody had seen it, writes the same kind of thing, lauding Flash and just like parroting the same kind of that's kind of, it's not an unbiased report. You're not showing both sides of the situation. So, I mean, there, there are things. I mean, increasingly, like at Apple Insider, I write as a, as a journalist. I mean, the, I don't want to put on too many airs, but I try to be neutral in what I say. And I'm writing facts as opposed to, like, my opinion. And, you know, even as a blogger, even when I was writing my own opinion all the time, um, I tried to support it as being, you know, this is a rational opinion. I don't have this because of some reason that I have. I mean, some motivation. Um, it's because this is what I think. And, you know, at the time it was like, I'm not, I'm not an investor in Apple and trying to like stir up positive news. So my stock goes up. It's, I believe in this company, this is, this is, this company is doing some really smart things. And I'm also an investor because of that, because I believe in it. So, I mean, to call me a, a journalist at the time is a little bit of a stretch because I was just reporting, I was just writing about Apple and I never, um, I never suggested that I wasn't. I mean, I never presented myself as being anything else but just an interested party reading, writing about this stuff. And yeah, obviously, I loved Apple, or I loved the potential of Apple. I didn't always love everything about Apple. <laughs> well, that's the important thing here. So let's put you in the auditorium at the shareholders' meetings and. You wanted to speak up, and you did. Tell us about it. Uh, well, the first time I had an opportunity to do that was in 2007, and I reported a number of things other people had been asking. Um, there was, you know, at the time there was issues. It was Greenpeace going on and on, and there was um, option backdating was the story. And it was kind of interesting because, like with Greenpeace, I mean, I had been covering the Greenpeace stuff separately, been writing a lot of articles about it, because that was kind of a situation where they were, they were trying to leverage Apple's notoriety and brand and everything to find new membership. And so they're really saying a lot of stuff about Apple that wasn't true. I mean, it just was simply not true. And they were suggesting a lot of things, saying, saying, you know, describing a lot of general ills in the world, like there's a lot of electronics that end up in China with kids stepping on them to recover the platinum or whatever. And, you know, that's tragic and it's terrible and shouldn't be happening. But it's not Apple doing it. So to describe all these bad things and then say, oh, Apple, we want you to do better. It's like, Greenpeace, what the, <laughs> what the F? I, it, it, just, it was just so awful. I mean, I was, I was writing about this thing, like, you can't, you're just standing up and lying to get money, and it's so obvious, and here's the proof. You know, that's what, kind of what I was trying. And so they get in front of jobs, and they do their little speech about, we want you to do this, we want you to go online and, and, and basically... Um, state exactly what you're going to be doing over the next 10 years and, and all that stuff. And Jobs turned around and, and didn't say, you're crazy, get out of this, get off the stage, and this isn't really about you. It's about an opportunity for shareholders to talk. His answer was that, yeah, it's great to say nice things, but it's more important to do something. And he said, what you really need to do is hire people with engineering backgrounds that could understand the issues involved, and then you can know what's going on here. And pointing out that Apple does more than any of these companies that, that they gave high marks to in their ratings. Uh, 
companies like you know Dell and HP, who their whole business model was to generate garbage garbage PCs for really cheap that are instantly e-waste. Like within a year, people throw them out, and maybe not within a year, but they generate an awful huge amount of volume of garbage that has to go somewhere, and they weren't taking it all back. So, I mean, his response was pretty classy for given the kind of vitriolic kind of attack that they presented. And the second thing was options backdating. It was kind of a similar thing of, you know, just tearing into him, saying what a jerk he was for, for stealing from shareholders and blah, blah, whatever. And his response again was, I, you know, you, first of all, you don't really know everything that's happening. Second of all, uh, the, the options that he was granted while they were, while the board was approving it, went up in value tremendously. You know, so he doesn't get this value that he was. Basically, Apple was appreciating so quickly that what what they said he was going to get, he didn't even get that because it took a while to approve it. And by that time, the the stock had gone up. Um, so I mean, he was kind of pointing out things like that and saying, "It's like, see, you don't really know the whole story when you're coming in here just like on the attack." And um, I'd asked him a couple questions. I I was trying to think of hard questions to ask, and I I asked him about. You know, the mobile me and why Apple wasn't doing better. And he was very frank about it. It was kind of like, yeah, we realized that this is not, he would later say it's not our best effort kind of thing. And it was kind of like pained to have to admit that, but he did. He wasn't saying, you know, this is really great and you should really give it another shot. It was, yeah, we realized that not everything is great and we have a lot of things in the pike planned. Um, and then also kind of pressing him on the iPhone. At the time, the iPhone hadn't yet been released. I think it was in May. So it had been announced but not released, and it was kind of, there was this idea that people were going to write web apps for it as opposed to real apps, native apps. You know, explain to our listeners, not everyone is technically inclined. And when we drop in buzzwords like web apps, that means that's something that just runs within the browser, right? Yeah, I mean, the original idea, the phone, when the phone came, it, it had kind of these apparent apps on it and Apple's solution was to say you can you can create third party apps using web standards so you're basically building a sophisticated web page that interacts with the phone and they can drag it and make it make it an icon so it looks like a native app which was basically the very same strategy that webOS came up with I mean that's basically what it is. It's very similar to what Microsoft is describing for Windows 8, their tablet. Sure, but with Windows 8, they say that's a good idea. With WebOS, they said that was a good idea. With Apple, it's miserable. It's a cop-out. Well, it, the answer from the answer that was getting publicized about the iPhone web apps was developers. Developers were saying, hey, wait, no, you're, you're making native apps that were great and you're expecting us to make web apps. So that was kind of the controversy. And it was very clear that Apple had was going to eventually make native apps, but it required some work. I mean, they just popped out the iPhone. It wasn't even on sale yet. It wasn't even proven that anyone was going to buy it yet. And it was being sold very differently. You know, it cost like you had to drop $600 to buy the thing. It was expensive. <laughs> and so they're just getting this new baby to market. And everyone's freaking out saying, oh, man, we want, it, we want to have everything wide open and just be able to exploit everything about it. And it's like, hold on, we haven't even sold it yet. And at the time, they're trying to say, you know, web apps we can do now. And 
they didn't want to say, you know, yeah, doodle around with web apps and then we're going to do something eventually later next year and open this all up so you can, you know, that wouldn't have been a very brilliant way to say it. Um, so they're just saying, you know, the solution for for third-party apps is to develop stuff using web solutions. And, yeah, developers were, developers were giving a lot of negative feedback about that. And so I asked Jobs about that, and he said, and I said it in the context of for corporate customers. If you're a corporate customer, you have custom stuff you want to build. Okay, let's get into that and more. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com do you live where ice storms, blizzards, tornadoes, floods, earthquakes, or hurricanes occur? Who doesn't? Well, most of us do, and when they occur, one of the first things to happen is the power goes out. When Hurricane Irene hit, over 5 million homes were without power. Just having light around the house becomes very important. Arm yourself with the new 50-hour emergency candle in a can. Just pull the pop-top lid, the matches are safe inside, and light up the candle for 50 hours of continuous light. The candle and matches are together when you need them the most. Emergency light that has an indefinite shelf life, always ready and won't go dead like batteries. 50-hour emergency candles are $7.95 each or 4 for $28. Call toll-free 1-855-485-8555, or order online at candlesincans.com. One more time, that's 855-485-8555, or visit us at candlesincans.com. OpticsPlanet.com is where discerning gun owners and outdoorsmen go to gear up. Optics Planet has the best selection of rifle scopes, red dots, night vision, holsters, bags, and tactical gear on the planet. With always low prices, free shipping on most orders, and expert customer service. Go to OpticsPlanet.com slash GCN to get a free gift with purchase. That's OpticsPlanet.com slash GCN. Or call 800-332-OPTICS. 800-332-6784. That's the sound of your door being kicked in by an intruder with a single kick. That's the sound of the same door now protected by the Door Sentinel at MySafeDoor.com. Go to MySafeDoor.com right now and watch the amazing video. At MySafeDoor.com, you'll learn how to turn your home into a fortress with the Door Sentinel. 16 kicks later, and the Door Sentinel is still holding strong. MySafeDoor.com. That's MySafeDoor.com.
What's been the problem with phone companies? High prices and contracts that lock you in for two years minimum. Not FreedomTelephones.com. Freedom Telephones are designed around the concept and reality of patriotism, loyalty, and privacy. With FreedomTelephones.com, there are no contracts, no credit checks, and no social security numbers required. That's why our name is FreedomTelephones.com. Finally, residential, mobile, and business telephones and plans that are private and never lock you into a long-term contract. Want a low price? Residential and business plans start at only $14.99, and mobile plans start at just $39.99. Plus, every month you pay your bill, FreedomTelephones.com contributes to your favorite GCN programs. Don't wait. Support the cause and get the highest quality and the lowest prices by calling one 800 600 5553. That's 800-600-5553. FreedomTelephones.com. Portable. Private. Perfect. Do you know what's going to happen next? Well, here's the Tech Night Owl. Live with Gene Steinberg. Later on, we'll have Stephen Baker of the NPD Group joining us about, of course, the newest Apple product, the iPhone 4S, and, of course, iOS 5, which our guest, Daniel Aaron Dilger, will be talking about shortly. We're talking now about the shareholder meetings that he attended, the times he had a chance to ask the questions of Steve Jobs, but also about some of the concerns and questions from others. Of course, we're talking about the fact when the iPhone was first released in 2007, There was no App Store. There was no iPhone SDK or iOS SDK for software developers. It was all supposed to be web apps. And, of course, the shareholders wanted Steve Jobs to do everything now, not tomorrow, not next year, yesterday. Well, it wasn't really the shareholders. It was developers were just seeing that there was this amazing potential there to do something and look like Apple was going to make this bad decision. And so instead of kind of giving the company the benefit of the doubt, it was kind of jumping all over saying, oh, this is terrible. And, you know, we're, we're basically going to be like Greenpeace and we're going to make, make a stink about some temporary issue that we see until Apple fixes it and then we're going to take credit for having forced it to change when really the whole thing was in plans. And so in May, when I, when I asked Jobs about this, he's, you know, particularly like, do you, do you realize that there's a market and particularly within corporations that develop their own you know, vertical products that they use internally. And what he said was that they're working to balance the needs of software security and deployment with the demands for, you know, custom development. And that said it right there to me, that what was holding up native apps wasn't not getting it. It wasn't failing to realize that that was important. It was realizing that there was something else that was important, and that was security and how you're going to get these things out. And if you can contrast that with Android, what Google said was, yeah, just do whatever you want. You know, things will work out. And things have not worked out. That You just have, they don't have a strategy in place. So what you end up with is just wide open. You can do kind of whatever you want, but things don't work very well. And malware and there's no security. And the, the PC had already been there. We went through the 90s where you could just make whatever software and it worked really great for about, you know, five years. And then people started exploiting it to hurt other people. And you ended up with this crisis of malware 
that Microsoft spent billions of dollars trying to close afterward. And, you know, it's still there. They can't really just pinch it off. But um, if you ignore security, it comes back to bite you pretty hard. And it's very clear in retrospect that they're working really hard on figuring out how to do this in a way that would be secure, in a way that would work. And there's a lot of work involved in that. And, and if you don't believe that, all you have to do is go back a little bit and realize that Apple had already been started working on iPod games. And iPod games are the pretty much the same thing that apps would be later. This secure, encrypted bit of software that you got through iTunes and that you couldn't just plug in from anywhere. You had to get it from a certain source. You knew that it wasn't going to be tainted. So, I mean, this was all, this was all in progress. And that Jobs' comment kind of indicated that. It was like, we're working on real problems here. And that's what... And what was interesting is when I was asking questions, the responses I was getting I felt were very satisfying. It was very clear that you know, Jobs didn't want to reveal his, the strategy of Apple. And people would always ask questions and try to get this idea, what are you doing in the future? What's your roadmap? What new cool product is coming out? And of course, he's not going to say what it is. But the answers that he does give are honest and straight. Let's look at some of the other answers. So let's go from question to question to answer to answer. What else do you remember? Well, the the main thing I remember from that 2007, that was kind of the main questions that I had asked. Um, I'd ask something about OS... OS 10 and if if it would make sense to sell a cheaper version to the developing countries to kind of get more developers and um, he said what do you mean sell sell them Mac OS 9 and people kind of laughed and and I said no I I think you should sell them Tiger while you're selling Leopard here and he didn't say okay yeah whatever he stopped for a minute and there was like this moment of thinking and I was like okay yeah that could be that could maybe be something that worked and, you know, there kind of would be problems with my idea. But the idea that he stopped for a minute to think about something, put in mind that, he, that when people talked to him, he didn't just have a prepared answer. He actually was thinking about what made sense. So, in a sense, maybe he did rehearse certain pieces of information he needed to present, but he didn't try or necessarily anticipate what people would ask him, and he didn't just give you a quick brush off. Well, yeah, it wasn't so much that he was prepared, but he was really knowledgeable. I mean, you can really tell when you talk to somebody who really knows their craft, what they're, whether they're you know, just making stuff up or whether they really get it. And people would send him questions from a lot of different angles, you know, talking about either you know, specific things Apple was doing or what competitors were doing. He knew a lot about what was going on. And kind of an interesting look at this whole situation that I had sat through. I mean, I'd seen his answers to me and I'd seen his answers to all these other people that would ask some of these questions were kind of dumb and his response was always, you know, pretty gracious. And some of them were really cutting and really, you know, really kind of sort of embittered questions. And his responses are really classy. And yet then there was this, um, SF Chronicle story that I read about after I got home and she's describing Jobs as just being a jerk, like he's feisty and he's fighting with the shareholders. And yeah, it was a really dramatic story, but it was completely a, a lie. And just portrayed Jobs as being this like really difficult person who was just like, you know, the kind of the words that she used, you know, it's like we're firing back and blah, blah, blah. And it was, it was conflict and dramatic and blah, blah, blah. And a lot of journalists like to create conflict just because it tells a nice story. 
But a lot of readers don't realize that most of those stories are lies. And I've had people write about me, you know, before I was... <laughs> I guess I'm like a little bit famous amongst nerds. But um, I've had people write stories about me in situations that I've been through... Um, you know, being in an accident or something, having somebody write a story about you or um, various times I've been in the newspaper. And it's like, you read the story and it's like, who wrote this? That Were they not there? Did they just like pull this out of, did they just make all these story things up? People would describe me as being something totally different. <laughs> you know, it's just like. Welcome to the limelight. We see that with my other show, The Powercast, where we have a little bit of a presence because now we're carried by a New York City station and I hear the things about myself and my co-host on the other program, Christopher O'Brien, that totally have nothing to do with reality. Yeah. It's as if they just, you know, suddenly find themselves immersed in another dimension. Hey, that's the key. They're in another dimension where well, time stands still. Well, when you are a writer, when you're writing, especially when you're writing news and under a deadline, there is this kind of sneaking feeling. And I remember seeing it, you know, I, I wrote back to the you know high school newspaper and I would see, you know, myself and other people, and it's like, oh, I had this deadline to get this done. And it's like, it'd be easier just to, like, make up some facts or, you know, just to, like, fill in some stuff that's probably true. <laughs> and and that's, it's interesting to see, because when you're a kid, when, when you're, like, fresh and you believe that everything in the world is, you know, competent, before that is all pulled under your feet by reality, getting old. You tend to think that everything you read in the newspaper or seeing on, on TV or whatever has to be true because if it wasn't, they wouldn't say it. They couldn't say it. And then you realize, you know, when you see inside newsmaking organizations and uh, just how things are covered, when you see a live event and then you see how it's covered and you're like, wait a minute, this stuff is sort of fictionalized. <laughs> you know, it's, it's edited for content in a way that just makes things not really true. And, you know, you know the kind of... There's this thing going on in America where there's liberals and conservatives and they look at how each other covers the news and they say, oh, look how they're presenting this. This is totally a fault. Something to fact check, whatever. But it kind of goes everywhere. I mean, just in general, journalism is kind of reverts to being the sort of let's lie because it's easier than telling the truth. Is it also to advance some kind of agenda? Sometimes there is. Sometimes it's just to be entertaining. I mean, like this SF Chronicle article, and, and you know the the Mercury Mercury News would always do that too. It either a situation where some disgruntled person would come and be like, "Oh, you know, Job's such a jerk, and did this all the stuff, and this is how he responded, and blah blah," and they'll write it down. Um, or it'll be a situation like the shareholder meeting where Jobs was like funny and comical and really classy, and he's described as being this this jerk that's like screaming at people and, you know. Well, the meme to be portrayed here is that Steve Jobs was a loudmouth jerk. And therefore, since he is a loudmouth jerk, everything he says is considered as evidence of his jerkiness, so to speak. Yeah. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. <laughs> America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. 
Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner, and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Tech Night All Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We have Daniel Arundilgar of Roughly Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com. We're looking at Steve Jobs and the times that Daniel Arundilgar encountered him at shareholder meetings. And we're talking about journalism in general, about how sometimes they just distort things, not because... They simply made a mistake, as people do, but because there's some kind of agenda, either overt or otherwise. Now, 2007, any other questions before we move on to another year? Um, that's my recollection of 2007. That was like my first time being there. How about we look at some of the highlights of subsequent meetings, because obviously we don't have endless amounts of time here. Uh, in 2008, I... Got, I attended again. And I was like, "This is awesome!" I got to talk to Steve Jobs, and the kind of at the time, you know, it was kind of like, "This is just what I do." It's part of what I do. Just report on this stuff, and uh, I almost didn't. It, it was kind of like in retrospect, I was realizing, "Wow, I'm talking to somebody who, to me, is like somebody I've seen this kind of oversized individual throughout my life." You know, kind of observing the story of what he's done, and you know, now that he's passed away, it's you know, people are describing him as being like an Edison or a Ford or a Disney. And um, so, yeah, it does. It, it feels like a real privilege to have been able to interact with him and see something real that a lot of people didn't see because the only, the only, um, the only information that got about jobs was filtered through news people who either wanted to make things more dramatic than they were, or were um, telling the stories of people who didn't like jobs. And um, certainly one cannot say that Jobs is always easy to deal with. I mean, there are lots of stories that I don't have any, I don't have any difficulty understanding that Jobs could be like a difficult person to work with. Um, he did not suffer fools. And if you were not delivering your best work, he would tell you that. And, you know, people who are really concerned about details and, want things to be great. If you're just sort of doing a good job or kind of, you know, maybe you are doing a great job, but not what he wanted you to do. It could be difficult to work for him. It could be very difficult. And he was kind of notorious for <laughs> when he first came back to Apple being like, there was this fear that if you got in the elevator with him, he would ask you what you do and you would end up fired by the time you got to your floor. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we don't need that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there was this whole kind of mystique around uh, 
jobs and being this, you know, very strong personality that could be very difficult to deal with. But the idea that he was just like 24-7 jerk is really a media creation. And once people, once people get a stereotype in, in their head of how somebody is, a caricature, like, you know, a Saturday Night Live sketch of, of somebody, um, that's who they want to believe. And so they look for more details or they look for more information to kind of suggest that that's the truth. And so there's a lot of people that, you know, there's a lot of celebrities. I remember growing up watching Saturday Night Live and having this idea that people that I was seeing caricatured, it was like you knew more about them from the caricature than you did from real life experiences. Um, like it just puts me in mind of Dana Carvey doing original George Bush and he had mannerisms and stuff that, you know, some of them were made up. But it was it was comical and it was entertaining. It was like, here's this character and this is the kind of things that he says and you know everything wouldn't be prudent. And um, it was like the 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 character was more interesting than the real life person. And in a lot of ways, that's what happened to Steve Jobs in in, in some ways that he's described is that he's described as such a. It, it's so entertaining to have somebody be this like um, feisty, belligerent person that. Uh, it kind of overshadows who he really was and what he really accomplished. Cause there's a lot of feisty people. You don't, I mean, you know, people that manage Taco Bell can be feisty. Um, you can work in a nondescript office that not clear what they do. And, and the people that work there, if they're managers can be difficult, but jobs wasn't just managing. He was kind of assembling some of the smartest people on earth to do some of the coolest projects that a lot of us have seen. Well, all right, let's now look at any other sessions, any other encounters you have with Steve Jobs at these shareholder meetings with interesting questions you want to cite before we go to iOS 5? I'm trying to think of questions. Like in 2008, I asked him about video games. It was kind of interesting to see his uh, responses for that, that video games were, were never seemed to be his main streak, but that there, was, there was also – it was always, always kind of told that Steve Jobs didn't like video games. But what's interesting is one of the first major software titles for the Mac was this um, this game called Alice. That's it's chronicled on folklore.org. If you want to read about uh, the creation of the Macintosh and, and interactions of Steve Jobs with the original team, that's a really an amazing set of stories. Folk folklore.org um, from a lot of people that worked on the original Macintosh. But, you know, this game was one of the first titles. And uh, later, Jobs was actually working with Bungie to deliver Marathon for the Mac. And Microsoft came in and bought it <laughs> and basically made it an Xbox title. And it became really popular. And, you know, it was this huge game. And um, you could kind of see that there was this sort of bitterness about, you know, we're trying to do this thing. And Microsoft just, like, totally came in and snowballed us with cash um, and took away this developer that would, had been working on a Mac-only stuff. So I think there was some kind of, it was just this realization that like this is a business that we're not going to win in. So why are we going to spend any time trying to battle Microsoft in it? Because Microsoft had kind of identified gaming as being a, a major way to keep the PC, keep Windows on the PC, keep it a monopoly. And that's the whole point of the Xbox was to keep DirectX in play. And it wasn't until the iPod Touch came out that Apple was seeing, wow, this mobile thing could just take away gaming. 
And you know, people talk about how Apple took over media devices, you know, like the iPod and smartphones, but and then tablets. But before the tablet, they took over the gaming, and they're continuing to do it. I mean, they just came in and took it away, and it was a lot of hard work. I mean, they they worked on it, but it was kind of almost an accidental um, win because they're working on de- delivering kind of a general purpose tool. wasn't really sure wasn't really clear what the iPod Touch would be doing. It was like, here's the phone without the phone. Um, it was almost like a mini tablet, and it became, oh, this is a gaming device, and it's been really popular. And what's interesting is there's all these Android smartphones, but there isn't an Android iPod Touch that's popular enough to matter. Samsung made a big deal about they totally copied the iPod Touch, you know, just down to the very last pixel on it, basically, a year ago, and we haven't seen anything about it since. They had some press release about how you know how they sold ten thousand of them in a weekend, and then nothing. So, I mean, Apple did something very unique, and they're continuing to do it. You know, people talk about how iPods are going down. You know, they've reached this plateau and now they're shrinking. And I was like, well, if you call them iPods, if you call the iPhone an iPod, then yeah, they've maintained their trajectory into the sky. Well, okay, let's move to a few more before we move to some final subjects. Any other Steve Jobs encounters you can mention? I had a couple subsequent. I mean, one one of the things, I can't remember what year it was, but I had like a list of questions, and I'd asked him a couple. And there was a line, there was like two or three people behind me, and I thought, you know, I, I totally want to just stand here and ask questions all day, but, you know, I should let other people say. And so I said, I, I have a couple of the questions, and... um I, I will let other people ask questions, and I'd like to ask some more. And he's like, yeah, why don't you do that? <laughs> you know, I've had enough of you, Dilger. Go ahead and give somebody else a chance. <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit nicer than that. It was kind of like, yeah, why, you, know, you can ask some more questions when you get in line. And when I came back up in line, it was like, oh, you again. <laughs> and Where do I, I send this felt, guy? It felt very conversational for, for being you know, a nobody talking to the CEO of this company that had just – started kind of leading. Leave with this. Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and Apple Insider. If you have a comment or a question about the Tech Night Out Live, write us. News at technightout.com. That's news at technightout.com. And one more thing, we have a completely updated forum at forum.technightout.com. That's forum.technightout.com. Check it out. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockwell. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R O C K O I D S.com. Attack, Attack. Of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. 
Are you wondering about your retirement portfolio? Are you confident that the financial advisor is experienced enough to combat climbing interest rates, taxes, and inflation? Stop guessing and go to the expert, Robert Chapman of the International Forecaster. When you subscribe to the International Forecaster, you get Robert Chapman's 45 years of experience and concise investment recommendations. Who needs sugar-coated excuses when you can get the cold hard facts and proven investment leads you can't get anywhere else? For a free introductory copy to Robert Chapman's International Forecaster, Subscribe now at theinternationalforecaster.com or call 877-479-8178. Experience the difference. When you subscribe, you can email Robert Chapman directly to obtain investment advice tailored just for you. Don't wait another minute. Subscribe today at theinternationalforecaster.com or call 877-479-8178. That's 877-479-8178. For centuries, silver has been used as a powerful natural antibiotic. And as a listener to this station, you probably already know the benefits of using colloidal silver. With so many websites to choose from, finding a reputable patriotic company with great products at affordable prices can be a difficult task. Introducing UtopiaSilver.com. UtopiaSilver.com carries the best, most effective, and most affordable colloidal silver and colloidal gold products in the industry. UtopiaSilver.com also carries products to fit your lifestyle, including weight loss, immune system defense, cleanses, herbs, joint and bone care, and much more. First-time customers using promo code GCN50 will receive 50% off all colloidal products. Visit us today at Utopia Silver. That's U-T-O-P-I-A Silver. UtopiaSilver.com or call 888-213-4338. That's 888-213-4338. UtopiaSilver.com. Taking back America's health care one American at a time. You can bet your life on eFoods Direct. Alex has told you about the amazing, great-tasting, long-term storable food from eFoods Direct and how a food savings account is your best insurance against natural disasters, job loss, and high food costs. But did you know that this dehydrated food also protects you against foodborne contaminants like E. coli and salmonella? Those poisonous critters can't live in low-moisture food from eFoods Direct. Ask for the Alex Fall Special. The Fall Special is a 24 four-day supply of food in a convenient portable container. A $259 value for only $199. Save $60 on 160 servings of the best food on the planet. Call 800-409-5633 and ask for the Alex Fall Special and go to eFoodsDirect.com slash Alex. Call 24 hours, 800-409-5633 or eFoodsDirect.com slash Alex. You can bet your life on eFoodsDirect. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, just send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. And if you want to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from technightowl.com slash radio. That's technightowl.com slash radio. Or check us out at iTunes. With Daniel Aaron Dilgrave, Roughly Drafted Magazine and Apple Insider, talking about his encounters with Steve Jobs at Apple stockholder meetings. Any other anecdotes to report before I ask you about your reactions to iOS 5? Let's talk about iOS 5. <laughs> Let's do that. Okay, well, it's interesting, I noticed, which is something, I guess, that's not being mentioned very much. When you first install iOS 5, and I didn't run the beta, so maybe they're kind of colored because of the beta, 
it didn't just install the update, it fully restored my iPhone completely and then copied everything back onto it again. Is this normal? Um, so you plugged it, you set it up via iTunes? Yeah, I downloaded from iTunes, you know, check for update, download and install, the usual thing. But when it installs the update, it restores the phone. Right. Now, normally in the past, it didn't restore a phone. Normally it would, you know, install the upgrade, upgrade the firmware, all that stuff. Here it did a full restore. I didn't select that. That's what it did. Oh, it just, it doesn't, yeah. So it, it, it historically prompted you to say, do you want to restore this? I've installed the operating system. Do you want to restore your settings and files? And so you're saying it just did it automatically? It did a full restore. Like you, for example, you want to reset your iPhone. You have a problem. It's not working yeah. properly. And so you opt to restore it. In Maybe this case, I just did a standard update, and it said, okay, we'll do a full restore. Okay. Well, I would imagine it would do that if you set it up through iTunes, and if you have one re- restoration, you know? Some of us have, like, multiple devices, that, so it would probably prompt you at that point saying, which one do you want to restore from? But, yeah, if you have one, it would make sense to just be like, okay, here's your stuff. It's just one iPhone and one iPad, that's all. So you said you got the 4S? No, I don't have a 4S, no. Oh, you got the 4, okay. There's a 4, because I'm upgrading, you know, from... I was 5 on the 4, okay. Right, right. I got it. Okay, interesting. Also, it takes you through a questionnaire, a setup questionnaire. Right. When you first set it up, to kind of just reestablish all your preferences, whether it wants to track your location, that sort of thing. And this is something I've never seen on the iPhone before. You go through several steps in setting it up. The rest, I guess, we'll find out as we progress. Now, what are your observations about iOS 5? I'm told web browsing is much faster. Well, speed is the kind of thing where anytime you experience new speed, you reset your baseline, and that's what it's supposed to be from then on. (laughs) It's kind of funny when I go back. I still have my old iPhones. I'll go back to my old iPhone, I'll be using it for Pandora or something, and um, I'll be like, wow, this thing is really slow. And on my phone, I don't think, wow, this thing is really fast. I think, wow, this is normal. And occasionally I think, man, I wish it would respond a little bit faster. But it's really crazy to go back to, I even have the original iPhone, and when I'm working on it, it's like, wow, this thing was so slow. (laughs) But yeah, it's like computers. You you get a faster computer, and for a few seconds, you're like, oh yeah, it's a little faster. And then you're like, hey, this is how computers should be. So basically, it's a matter of the fact that you accept something as normal, and then when you get something much faster, it's the new normal. Right. Okay. That's part of the reason why Apple had a hard time, has always had kind of a hard time standing out as being as exceptional as they are, because people use their stuff, and it's so natural that it's just like, boom, you know, this is how things should be. It's kind of like how the Macintosh was. You started using it, and you're like, oh, this is how computers should be. And so it wasn't really that amazing when everybody else started doing it. It was just like, oh, yeah, this is, this is what everyone should be doing. And kind of the same way with the iPhone. You know, I remember phones before the iPhone were kind of frustrating to deal with, and a lot of things just didn't work. I mean, I had a, I had a Palm Pilot, which I really wanted to work, and it had apps, but you'd load three apps and it just wouldn't work anymore. You know, just like Windows Mobile. And not anymore. <laughs> I've never, like put too many apps on my iPhone and had to just be like, oh, it doesn't work anymore. Oh, okay, well. <laughs> All right, so that's the key thing here with the iOS 5. Even though there are loads of new features, you have this new kind of setup assistant, once you get started, most things work pretty much the same, at least for the beginning. 
Yeah, it's not hard to figure out. It's not like a, a no, whole new un- interface that they're floating out, which you should kind of expect. In the the review write-up I did on Apple Insider, one, the, the quote that I pulled from the guy that runs iOS is, we're trying to figure out how to make, basically how to, how to improve things in a... Um, he said we're constantly challenging ourselves to to figure out how to make the experience better and more intuitive and adding powerful functionality. Um, that's kind of a good wrap up of what kind of how Apple's going to be evolving iOS in the future is constantly kind of figuring out how to make it better and retrofit things to make them smarter, uh, as opposed to just like coming out with something that's flashy and new because Apple already has everyone's attention. I mean, the fact that they're selling the number one smartphone and also the number two smartphone, something that they had have been selling since 2009, which is ancient in the smartphone world. But it, it is kind of a reality check when you look at you know, kind of what Android's doing. And Android serves a population. There's some people that really like Android phones and kind of the differences of them. But for the mass market, um, you're not going to reach that with something that has a crazy 3D interface that you have to read a book to figure out how to work. And that's really just not very intuitive. And it's kind of created to catch attention more than to be like a great tool. So that's why the, the Android 3.0 Honeycomb tablets were never really a threat to the iPad. And last year's, um, when Samsung delivered the iPod Touch clone, the Galaxy Player, it it wasn't a competitor to that either because it was really designed to be a placeholder, not a, not a really great product. Can you even get one anymore? Who knows? The long and short of it, because we don't have much time left, looking at iOS 5, you're pretty satisfied, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see a lot of outstanding problems. There's a few like little niggling things that I'd like to have different. Um, one is I don't really understand why there's not a, a button to attach a picture to emails you have to copy and paste which you know it's not like it's that hard to do but it's not obvious to people who don't realize that that's possible you have to go to the so if you have a photo you want to send to somebody you can go to the album and say send this to somebody or tweet it or whatever but if you're composing an email you can't say oh yeah i want a picture on this you have to go out and copy it then go back in and paste it which is not transparent i also understand that there are a couple of upgrade glitches and people are having a little bit of difficulty in doing the upgrade i suspect probably because the servers are clogged and the upgrade file is like 700 megabytes i know when i tried to upgrade an ipad 2 i had to do it five times and finally i instead of clicking upgrade clicked restore and it worked so maybe five times the charm so if you have problems and it keeps failing and failing Go to Restore and see what happens. It should work. It did for me anyway. Daniel Aaron Dilger, tell our listeners where they can find more of the things that you write about. I write for RefflyDrafted.com and AppleInsider.com. Okay. And at AppleInsider.com, he reviews all the great Apple stuff, has great articles and commentaries, and when he's really forthright, the next step goes to RefflyDrafted.com. Daniel Aaron Dilger, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. Yeah, thanks for having me, Gene.
Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. SellYourMac.com purchases used Apple computers, iPhones, iPads, and iPods through a safe, no-hassle transaction. They're a BBB-accredited business with an A-plus rating. You can rest assured you'll get paid for your expensive devices. They're in this business because they love Apple products. They want you to have the latest and greatest Apple gear available. Selling your used Mac, iPhone, or iPad will greatly reduce the cost of a new purchase. Get a free quote now from SellYourMac.com. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. Did you know nuclear radiation is still spewing out of the melted-down reactors in Fukushima, Japan, and making its way across the entire U.S. continent, contaminating the air, water, and food? Dangerously high levels of radiation are a reality here. As a result, radiation poisoning is a distinct possibility for anyone living in the U.S., unless you do something to protect yourself. How? With Liquid Zeolite from RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Without a doubt, Liquid Zeolite is by far the best product to remove radiation from your body. It safely removes toxins. Toxins and heavy metals, boosts energy levels, and promotes a strong immune system. Liquid Zeolite is so powerful it was used to clean up contamination in Chernobyl, yet so gentle you won't even know you're taking it. Liquid Zeolite comes with a money-back guarantee, but is only available at RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Learn how to get free bottles of Liquid Zeolite by calling 800-880-9976. That's 800-880-9976. Or go to RestoreYourHealthNow.com. That's RestoreYourHealthNow.com. OpticsPlanet.com is where discerning gun owners and outdoorsmen go to gear up. Optics Planet has the best selection of rifle scopes, red dots, night vision, holsters, bags, and tactical gear on the planet. With always low prices, free shipping on most orders, and expert customer service. Go to OpticsPlanet.com slash GCN to get a free gift with purchase. That's OpticsPlanet.com slash GCN. Or call 800-332-OPTICS. 800-332-6784. That's the sound of your door being kicked in by an intruder with a single kick. That's the sound of the same door now protected by the Door Sentinel at MySafeDoor.com. Go to MySafeDoor.com right now and watch the amazing video. At MySafeDoor.com, you'll learn how to turn your home into a fortress with the Door Sentinel. 16 kicks later, and the Door Sentinel is still holding strong. MySafeDoor.com. That's MySafeDoor.com. This is a special announcement for all Americans who owe back taxes to the IRS or state. Pay attention. There is a special toll-free hotline set up especially for you. This hotline will give you free information on how you can legally reduce or eliminate your tax debt. Call the Consumer Tax Hotline today at 1-800-652-3707. Grab a pen or put the number in your cell phone, but call 1-800-652-3707. When you call, you will speak with qualified companies that will tell you how to stop the collection calls, IRS letters, bank levies, and wage garnishments. Plus, these companies will deal directly with the IRS on your behalf, so you won't have to. Even if you have...
haven't filed returns or you're already in a payment plan, you can still get relief. The current government administration is very amicable and wants to work out a program in your best interest. But this won't last forever, and your tax problem only gets worse if you do nothing or try to handle it yourself. It does make a big difference in who you call. So call the Consumer Tax Hotline today for free information. 1-800-652-3707. That's 1-800-652-3707. What's going to happen next? You never know when you're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. With Stephen Baker of the NPD Group, we're going to look at Apple and how Apple's doing now that Steve Jobs is no longer with us. Now, one thing in passing before we get on with this, Stephen, is that I noticed the stock market took it in stride. The passing of Steve Jobs, they had pretty much prepared for it at this point, don't you think? Well, yeah, and I think um, Tim had really been in charge for almost the entire year. People have seen what kind of a good job Apple has done and Tim has done and how the company's direction doesn't really seem to be um, moving around at all. You know, I don't think there would be any reason for people to rethink why they would want to invest in Apple. Okay, so the first appearance that Tim Cook makes as official, permanent CEO of Apple, that media event where they introduced the iPhone 4S. Now, to kind of stage this, in the past, Apple kind of jumps generations in terms of major case redesigns. So the basic case in which the product is placed, well, they'll go a couple of generations, like the iPhone 3, 3S, 3GS, that kind of thing. So... It follows that the iPhone 4S would probably look the same as the iPhone 4, except that the internal workings are quite different. But it seemed to get an underwhelming response from the media. Were they expecting too much of Apple? Well, um, you know, they certainly do 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 that case cadence. And I think, you know, a big part of that is that the cases, you know, is a big piece of the cost. And given how Apple's cadence is, they certainly like to get as much uh, leverage from all that tooling and all the design work that they do over multiple generations of the product. They don't really like to jump from one product to the next. Um, I think the reason everyone was concerned is that, you know, I think the market over the last 15 or 18 months has changed uh, considerably, whether it's, you know, the, the Android type products gaining share, but also the fact that the trend has been towards bigger and bigger screens. And as great as the iPhone screen is, it is still considerably smaller than what you would consider kind of the mainstream um, Android screen. And I think everyone's expectation was that Apple would at a minimum come out with some kind of a design that really um, got more competitive on a screen size basis. Well, that's always the big question here, the ideal screen size. If you're going to have, say, a 4-inch screen or a 4.5-inch screen, you have a larger phone. How large is too large? Uh, You know, just like beauty, it's in the eye of the beholder, right? Uh, Bigger hands, smaller hands. Um, You know, right now, obviously, they're pretty comfortable with the size of the um, screen that they have on this product. Um, 
you know, I, I think, again, I think it's a very personal decision. And, you know, the market has said, at least the consumers are saying, that they don't necessarily mind bigger screens up to about four and a half inches. Certainly, once you get by that, we've started to see some customer resistance. At this point, we see that obviously those larger phones are selling, but obviously Apple is pushing a heck of a lot of those iPhone 4s. Now the 4S has been out. The pre-orders have been tremendous. So is this showing that this is just going to be another another smash hit for Apple? Well, I, th- I think, you know, certainly it was going to be a smash hit no matter what. And everybody's expectations that, you know, there would be some kind of lag would be are a little bit misguided. Um, you know, some of it is this is the first um, launch they've had with uh, Verizon and Sprint in there. So they certainly have a bigger customer base in terms of of being able to sell the product into, and that's clearly going to help the pre-orders by giving them a lot more people to sell to. So I think a big part of it is likely, certainly in the U.S., that part. Okay, so but we don't really know then how the public is going to react because Apple didn't have a larger screen, or even if Apple will ever have a larger screen, because, you know, Apple doesn't produce lots of models of the same category of product. Right, and you can't, right, and you also can't know what you don't know, right? Um, consumers may or may not be asking for bigger screens. I think one of the hallmarks of Apple design over the years has been that Apple takes the uh, approach that they understand how to create products, and um, while they certainly don't want to disappoint customers, um, they think that they have a pretty good idea what people want. They don't necessarily have to give people um, every last piece of uh, feature or, or technology that people want because, you know, a lot of those things don't get used or they add cost. And, you know, Apple's looking to create a product that works pretty well in all its different phases. So, um, you know, they're, they're just not necessarily going to go out there and, and – try to match it what everybody else is doing. So the issue here, of course, is whether Apple would have gotten a better reaction, even if it wasn't a larger screen, but just a different case. So instead of having the glass front and the glass backing, they had brushed aluminum, for example. Who knows, right? You, you know, again, you're, you're saying, would they have something better? You, you know, you can't know uh, something that isn't in there. All you can see is that uh, right now, at least, the consumer reaction isn't necessarily bad. They're selling an awful lot of them um, ahead of time, and you know we'll see how the sales go over the next few months. I know if I built cases for iPhone 4s, I would be delighted that this has well, happened. Now, I'll tell you, you know, obviously yeah. at retail, um, you know, while the retailers and uh, industry in general loves. Um, loves iPhones. They also love the fact, yes, that it's the same um, look and feel as it's been the last couple of times. And certainly, you know, a big issue is that there are so many different kinds of cell phones and every single one needs a little bit different case that, you know, there's an awful lot of inventory and other kind of issues in terms of managing that. And um, I think for once, you know, Apple was kind of the good guy in this position for all the case and manufacturers and screen protector companies. Also, it means that they could leverage the design of the previous model, 
with the same displays using the same suppliers, and that helps them too in keeping costs under control because they've added a lot to it. You've got a more powerful processor, you've got better camera, better lens. This has to cost them more money. Yeah, I mean, again, I think as you rightly pointed out earlier, they often do skip that generation in terms of changing the look and feel of the product. One, I think it takes a lot longer than people recognize to do those kind of changes on a year-to-year basis. If you were going to change the look and feel every year, that would be an awful lot, require an awful lot more resources and cost a lot more money than it does the way that they do it, and they're not willing to accept the cost. I think what the industry was most questioning was, so this product was given the, the other cadences a few months behind them, yet it seems to be, other than some, you know, internals relatively the same as the last version and you know if they took that extra time why didn't they come out with something new well the question would be of course maybe they didn't finish developing all those internals because remember they design their own processor they design a lot of things there that are custom it may just have taken that much time plus they were still selling the other iphone a pretty good clip well, I think there's, A, I think it was that the sales were still very strong, and B, while, yeah, you know, I'll grant you all the hardware stuff, I suspect it had more to do with the uh, timeline for iOS 5 and being able to get that into the new phone and the amount of work and, and time frame it took to do that and do iCloud, and they wanted to introduce all those things at the same time. While we consider what the industry analysis is with Apple's new launch of the iPhone 4S, We have this story that went out online. Apple Incorporated's new iPhone went on sale in stores across the globe on Friday, prompting thousands to queue around city blocks to snap up the final gadget unveiled during Steve Jobs' life. Shares of Apple rose 2% in early trading after queues wound down the streets of Sydney, Tokyo, London, Paris, and Munich, to get their hands on the iPhone 4S despite criticism about the lack of a design revolution and reports of software glitches. We have Stephen Baker of the NPD Group. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Ray Perkins a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockwell. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R O C K O I D S.com. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids. A novel in the grand science fiction tradition. 
Introducing a diabetes breakthrough, an easy, natural, organic way to bring relief to diabetics. Introducing MDS Forte, a concentrated super strength extract formulated for those who are looking for quick action. Listen to what the revolutionary MDS Forte can do for you. MDS Forte reduces glucose levels safely and effectively, reduces cholesterol and triglyceride levels, increases HDL or good cholesterol while reducing LDL or bad cholesterol. MDS Forte reduces A1C, improves eyesight and circulation to the limbs and helps weight loss is non-toxic, caffeine-free, 100% natural, 100% organic, and comes with a 100% money-back guarantee. Waiting for the side effects disclaimers? With MDS Forte, there are none. Order a 25-day treatment of MDS Forte at bestbloodsupport.com or call 213-405-5355. Call 213-405-5355 or go to bestbloodsupport.com. That's bestbloodsupport.com for MDS Forte, a diabetes breakthrough. Local Army Navy surplus stores are hard to find these days, but not military issue supplies. They're right here online at MainMilitary.com. That's right, just like the state, M-A-I-N-E, Military.com. We have everything for true, total preparedness. MainMilitary.com is not a typical website. It has much more than your old surplus store. Quality military-issue survival gear like canteens, mess kits, utensils, gas masks, filters, and chemical suits. Magnesium fire-starting tools, strike anywhere, waterproof, and storm matches. First aid kits, splints, tourniquets, parachute 550 cord, military manuals, sandbags by the bale, and a huge molly assortment of vests and pouches for every need. Call 207-989-6783, 207-989-6783, or visit MainMilitary.com. That's M-A-I-N-E, Military.com, the main name in military supply. Smokers, are you still smoking traditional cigarettes? Are you still smelling up your clothes and car interior, staining your teeth, and getting ashes everywhere? Why? When you could be smoking or vaping with e-cigarettes by LaSig. With LaSig e-cigarettes revolutionary microelectronic technology, rechargeable battery, and unique replacement cartridges, you'll get all the satisfaction of smoking, but no smoking hazards. Choose from a wide variety of our new American-made Vapriate e-liquid flavors at LaSig.com, spelled L-E-C-I-G.com. Or call 870-518-4307. That's 870-518-4307. LeSig e-cigarettes for today's modern smoker. Warning, e-cigs may contain nicotine, an addictive substance known to the state of California to cause birth defects or cancer. Please be aware of the risks associated with e-cigs prior to use. You must be 18 years or older to purchase. You never know what's going to happen next while listening to the Tech Night Isle, live with Gene Steinberg. We're back with Stephen Baker of the NPD Group. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Isle Live. We're exploring Apple, minimally, of course, the passing of Steve Jobs, because I think the industry in Wall Street and lots of people were expecting that he was seriously ill and he didn't have much time left. And I think the predictions are now that on the short term, it looks like Apple's doing well. On the long term, obviously, we're looking at Apple externally. We don't know all the answers. Does it look as if Apple has been so embedded with the DNA of Steve Jobs by virtue of the people he hired that they can continue to execute for a lot of years? 
Well, so there's two different things happening, right? There's the day-to-day execution of the company and, um, you know, getting those products out into the marketplace, pricing them correctly, designing them correctly. And then there's the longer range kind of product vision as to what those, what the new drivers of revenue and opportunity are going to be. And they've been executing very, very well as a company for a long time. Um, and there's no reason, regardless of who the CEO is, that that ought to change. Um, in terms of you know looking out in terms of product, you know he was the visionary in terms of those kind of products. But you know as a visionary, there's probably a lot of um, ideas kicking around the skunk works in different levels of um, completion, and you know. They've got obviously people who can execute on those ideas and those those kind of thoughts. And you know, I think whether Steve is now that he's not with us anymore, um, you know, I think those kind of people are still there, and they're still able to translate the ideas and the concepts and the DNA, as you put it, of Apple to whatever kind of products are out there, and, and as they think about new products going forward. We also have to assume that Steve Jobs, knowing his time was short, was working hard at the next generation products. So it was reported somewhere that three or four years worth of products have already been put in the pipeline. Well, you know, that's, that, the, the, that is often the case at a lot of different companies. So, you know, it takes a lot. Again, you know, just like we talked about earlier about how it takes a lot longer to design a phone than people might think, you know, it takes a lot longer to design the kind of products we're talking about here than people might think. And I think in most companies, there's a three or four year roadmap in terms of, you know, what those products are going to be and how they think about those with their competitors might be doing and what their partners are doing. You know, I think for Apple, the advantage is that so much of the technology comes in-house that they can kind of look at where their technology roadmaps are and then build out products against that. But I think everybody's got, you know, a three to five year specific kind of a product roadmap. I think the difference again is, you know, what are the services and what is the goal of those products going forward? And that was the difference that Steve brought, you know, bringing out an iPad that changed the way people were thinking about the PC market and computing and, and the tablet market or bringing out the iPhone and insisting it wasn't going to have a keyboard and, you know, how can we really do a, you know, virtual keyboard in a great, great way in a virtual kind of environment? How can we create, you know, iCloud and, and things like that that enhance and, and grow our footprint with our customers? Now, when you look at iCloud, I think Apple really has to make it work this time because Apple has tried the online service thing over the years. I mean, I was just going through the history of this, and the early Apple partnered with a group called Quantum, which was the predecessor to AOL, to build something called Apple Link Personal Edition, a personal consumer-based online service. And, of course, Apple pulled out. That became AOL. And then Apple had something called eWorld, Back in the 1990s, it failed. And then what is now iCloud has gone through several generations of iTools, .Mac, MobileMe, iCloud. It sounds almost like Microsoft does with various services where they'll introduce a service that doesn't go well, so they rebrand it and they change it. 
looks like Apple's doing the same thing. Have you heard anything yet about the first day or two of the iCloud rollout? haven't heard too much except that everybody is still in the process, I guess, of downloading, you know, iTunes and uh, Mac OS X and iOS 5 and that their servers have been kind of overwhelmed in terms of the number of people trying to trying to download. While, while I don't disagree with your point there, I think I think the real point of all that is that this kind of stuff that you're talking about in terms of online services has been really hard to do and not just for Apple, but for everybody. And yes, you know, everybody has gone through lots and lots of iterations as to how they can best provide that kind of service to their customers and to the devices that they make. And, you know, you can make an argument and I would probably agree with it that most of those services were probably ahead of their time that, you know, we're still dealing with infrastructure issues. Uh, you know, we just had, you know, rim down for a couple of days. We've had Amazon go out, you know, last month or the month before. You know, the reliability isn't probably on those kind of things, what everybody is looking for. You know, data centers have just really started to get to the size and the complexity and the sophistication that can support all these um all these different devices and all the different kinds of downloads. And, you know, it takes a long time to create the software and make it work. So, um, you know, I think you can make a pretty good argument that it takes a long time to get to this point, assuming iCloud is this point, And, you know, we don't know yet. It may not be. Um, it's a difficult task to, to make work. Well, certainly as we talk, I'm having trouble with my email at iCloud. Moved over. I migrated from MobileMe to iCloud, and my email just doesn't work right. And we can see evidence that the servers are basically overloaded. Apple also had problems in sending out the updates for the iOS 5. People were reporting internal errors and all sorts of problems trying to upgrade their iPhones and their iPads. I know I ran into problems just the other day, the day that it was introduced on the 12th of October. It took me five tries to get an iPad 2 to upgrade. So Apple's got some work to do. As does everybody. Um, you know, this is a little different than building hardware. And, um, you know, there aren't... There, I think the reason there aren't any successful services uh, like this is that, you know... No one has been able to make all these disparate pieces come together. There's no playbook. They're inventing things, you know, in Apple, while obviously, you know, typically at the cutting edge, um, you know, it's nice to have a playbook and it's nice to um, be able to see what some of those problems were. And again, they've been able to see some of those through MobileMe and .Mac and some of their other um, services. So... You know, I, I think it's obviously way too soon to pass judgment, but, you know, the market wants these kind of products. We're trying to deliver them. Um, what the value that the customers will put on them and the um, 
how much they really want them compared to the complexity and sophistication and cost that it takes to create them is something that we're going to have to see over the next uh, year or so. Certainly, you know, as Amazon's Fire tablet comes out, that's a product that depends in a lot of ways on the same kind of um, services that that uh, iCloud is thinking about doing. And, you know, it's it's a complicated venture. And, you know, while Apple is certainly in a great position to pull it off, I don't think it would surprise anybody if there were glitches and, and issues along the way. I guess maybe the statement to be made now is if you want to use a cloud-based service, have a good backup. <laughs> well, you know, that's uh, good advice for anybody at any point in time, no matter what you're doing. Absolutely, because you never know when something's going to fail. I mean, if I had to depend on my Mac.com email right now, I would be in rather bad shape because <laughs> it's been so flaky. By the time you hear this show, ladies and gentlemen, it might all be worked out. So don't assume anything besides it's now free. So what do you lose if it doesn't work? Try somebody else's service and see. If you have a comment or a question about the Tech Night Out Live, write us. News at technightout.com. That's news at technightout.com. And one more thing, we have a completely updated forum at forum.technightout.com. That's forum.technightout.com. Check it out. For one more session, we'll have Stephen Baker of the NPD Group. We'll look at the PC industry, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and how it's doing. Later on in the show, we'll have Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine to talk about the iPhone 4S and also about the problems with Research in Motion and the BlackBerry Network this week. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, Ted Anderson announcing a great way to listen to radio on the telephone. By calling 760-569-7700, you'll be hearing GCNlive.com programs in seconds. Come to GCNlive.com, find your favorite host's dedicated phone number, and hear them 24-7. You heard me right, every show has a dedicated phone number. Stop by GCNlive.com and bookmark their number today. And again, that's 760-569-7700. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit and carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Tech Night All Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We have Stephen Baker of the NPD Group. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live, and we're focusing on all sorts of issues with regard first to Apple, the iPhone 4S, iCloud. But now we're going to look at the PC industry in general, in terms of how it's faring with regard to sales of standard PCs versus Apple. Now, I got some surveys just the other day showing that Apple continues to outpace most of the PC industry. Are you seeing the same things at NPT Group? 
Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, in in the U.S. and consumer markets, they continue to grow much faster than the um, Windows market does, and you know that's been true for for quite a while. Now, is that because of the so-called halo effect, where people get an iPad or they get an iPhone, and they say, you know what, I guess we're going to try something else from Apple? Um, you know, clearly there is some of that. Uh, I think it's a combination of a whole bunch of things. I think it's, you know, brand cachet. It's the fact that, um, you know, there's there's been a, a move over the last few years as Apple has become more compatible with the rest of the industry in terms of ports and networking and all those kind of things, um, that more and more multiple PC households want to make sure that at least one of their computers is a Mac, and that wasn't quite the case uh a few years ago, so that's been a really good growth platform for them as well. Um, and you know, I think over the last two to three years, typically in a lot of categories, what we've seen is companies that can deliver, you know, a real premium experience. That there's still, you know, consumers who are willing to buy and spend money at the top of the market, and that a lot of the weakness because of the economy and commodity type products continues to be in the middle in the entry-level segments, and the PC market clearly um, is affected by that. Now, if we look, for example, at the PC market now, the number one PC maker is HP, but HP is deciding whether they should shed their PC division, spin it off something. They can't make a big profit from it. What do they have to do to change? Well, <laughs> you know, um, I, I think that's, that's a moot point. I don't know that they can necessarily change the business that they're in, right? PCs are going to be a low-margin business. Unless you're Apple. Outside of (laughs) Apple, PCs are going to be a low-margin business. Uh, That's just the way the business grew up, and that's the way it's going to stay. I think what you have to learn to do is how do you manage around the edges, and where do you take your opportunities, and how do you make sure that you continue to grow volumes and keep the product relevant to be able to be successful. I think it's as simple as that. I don't know that, again, there's, there's no magic bullet here. You know, price, PC prices aren't going to go up 15%. Costs aren't going to drop 25%. People aren't going to all of a sudden go back to spending $1,000 on Windows notebooks like they were five or six years ago. Those things just aren't going to happen. They'll spend nine ninety nine on a MacBook Air, of course. Right, and you have to work on the margins that are available in your industry. I think you can make an argument to some extent that, you know, given the margins and and the way that Apple works, that they're, um, you know, a a very separate case inside a commodity industry, the same way that, you know, coach bags are in the handbag business or or another kind of an area where there's a premium brand that premium brand gets a great price a lot of the other brands are are relegated to you know fighting among each other for the rest of the market they may constitute the vast majority of units but they don't constitute the vast majority of dollars well the other question would be then is there a way that they could make the operation more efficient how would it make sense for HP to keep building PCs the way they're structured now? Or does it make sense for them to just simply sell it off to somebody who just sells PCs and that's it? Well, I mean, my belief is that 
the HPPC business belongs with the rest of HP, um, that there are sales synergies among all the different segments of clients and servers and networking and printing and services, and that they can position themselves as the one who offers all those different pieces. So basically then if you don't – if they don't make a lot of money from the PC, they'll sell you the printer, they'll sell you the consumables, they'll sell you different services. So the PC may not in and of itself be a big profit center, but it brings business to the company that they could leverage towards other sales. Right. And it's a bundle. So you can't look at what the profit is on one product inside the bundle. And in fact, you probably don't even want to show the customer or discourage the customer. And, and this is mostly in the enterprise space, right? From understanding what the cost of each individual item is, the, the value is in the whole package. And, you know, not coincidentally, that's what Apple does. Apple makes their own operating system in many cases, you know, in the, in the iOS products, they have their own processor. Um, they do a lot of things on their own so that all those costs are kind of buried in the product. And when you don't have to break those costs out or people don't see those specific kinds of costs, um, a lot of times there are ways to hide that and sell the quality of the device or the, the experience or the seamless nature of how all those different pieces work together. You know, I think there's a model there that uh, Apple is working on that um, is a good model for HP and a reason why they need to be in the PC business as well as all the other enterprise businesses that they're in. Of course, the question is whether Meg Whitman is a new CEO of HP, which has had a case of revolving musical chairs in the CEO office for the past few years, whether she can make a difference. Obviously, she did well for quite a while over at eBay, but that's a company that provided auction services. It was a reseller. It was selling products for other people, whereas HP is building their own. Can she adapt? Remains to be seen. As you're right, it's a very being the CEO of HP is turning out to be a very difficult, tough job. It's a big, big, complicated company, and you know, um, I'm not gonna. I don't know how well she's going to do. I think she's, you know, started off okay by saying, you know, let's look at where we're supposed to be going and what we need to do, and look at the assets, and then um, you know, go from there, which is what you know most new CEOs who kind of come from outside the company start to do. So, of course, in this case, they took someone from the board of directors who supposedly is familiar with the operations of the company. And there's the other question here, whether HP should be selling off the web OS division in light of the failure of the HP touchpad or give it another go. What do you think? In terms of re, 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 reinvigorating the touchpad, well, I don't think they're going to come back and do that. Um, that doesn't mean they won't have tablets. Certainly there are other ways and venues for them to, to look at, whether it's Android or, you know, Windows 8. So I think, you know, certainly I think you'll see another um, tablet from HP in 2012. Um, you know, yeah, I think she has to look at all the different pieces. I wouldn't expect that, though, that they would be looking at revising the WebOS piece. I think um, they've kind of made a decision that, the cost of competing in that mobile operating system market is too much and that they're not willing to foot that bill. They gave their chance. 
you know, I, I we, we could talk all day about, you know, why the touchpad failed and what all the problems were. And I think the, the most interesting part of that for me was that um, most people thought the software was pretty good. And the real issue was around the hardware. And given that HP is a hardware company, I think that was a big surprise for most people. Um, and it just kind of, I think, shows that um, while we all want companies to be more vertical, because when you look at it, you know, Apple has been so successful with that, um, it's not as easy as it seems. And, you know, making all those things work together is a big, complicated task. And, um, you know, Apple makes it look really easy, but it's just not. Stephen Baker, where do we find more of the stuff that you do? Uh, you can look at on npd.com, and our uh, company blog is npdgroupblog.com. Stephen Baker, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. Thank you, Gene. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. You expect professional service from your doctor, your accountant, and even the girl who takes your morning coffee order. Why not from your domain registrar, too? Namecheap.com provides stellar service with no sneaky upselling. We offer more features and security options for your website than there are ways to order a latte. And new domains come with a WhoisGuard to protect your personal info. At Namecheap.com, you can get your domain for as low as $2.99. Now is a great time to get to know Namecheap.com. Hey everybody, Jason Lewis here once again. These are hard times for investors. If you're like me, you just don't know where to put your money because there's a downside to every possible scenario. Now look, every portfolio needs a hedge for inflation. Gold has been the classic. I want to tell you, I want to be honest with you, commodities fluctuate. So you could lose money. Gold goes up and down. But every stable portfolio usually has an inflation hedge and gold is, well, the gold standard. Washington is not going to get us out of this recovery so you've got to protect yourself. Give it some thought, and if you're interested in converting your IRA to gold or would like to actually have it in your possession, call Midas Resources today at 1-800-686-2237. The U.S. dollar was once backed by gold, but it's lost a lot of its value since then. Call Midas Resources today, 1-800-686-2237 for gold. That's 1-800-686-2237, and tell them Jason Lewis sent you. Big Berkey water filters are in high demand. Storable foods are also in high demand. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has always kept our focus on the Berkey water filter products. But increasingly, our customers have been asking for storable foods. After months of research, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com now offers great-tasting, long-lasting, storable foods. These ready-to-eat meals are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches. All you do is just add water. And because they're sealed so well, they come with a 25-year shelf life. 
Combine our Berkey water filters, which are powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water with our storable foods, and you have a winning combination. Remember, we offer free shipping on every order over $50, and GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY today. Hi there, this is Dr. Joel Wallach, the Dead Doctors Don't Lie Guy. And we're looking in this time of terrible financial crash, terrible meltdown of the medical system, we're looking to pay people obscene amounts of money if you become a student of our business at Longevity, We will help you actually take care of people better than the medical system has. Think about it. We spend more money in America for health care than all the other 218 nations the world put together, and they can't even solve weight loss problems. I mean, the medical system can have a total mental brain fart, and if you do this, you will be able to save an enormous amount of people from being overweight, being obese. They don't even know what causes obesity. Believe me, we know what causes obesity. In the medical system, they think it's from eating too much. It's not from eating too much. It's actually a mineral deficiency. Do you solve a iron deficiency anemia with a bone marrow transplant? That's what they think. Do you solve a mineral deficiency that causes obesity with a gastric bypass? That's dumber than a stump. Contact us at GCNminerals.com. Learn how to lose weight, look good, and save yourselves a gob of money. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. And don't forget, you can visit the famous Tech Night Owl community forums at forum.technightowl.com. Get in on all the action. That's forum.technightowl.com. We have Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine at laptopmag.com. And I was asking Avram before we got started whether he actually ever heard a Steve Jobs keynote in person. You didn't have the honor, did you? No, unfortunately, uh, I had to watch them streaming. Uh, generally, our editor-in-chief here gets the call, and Apple is really particular about who, whom they invite to their event. Don't you know it? That's Apple. But I have to tell you, I have been to some of the keynotes. I've been to some of the special press events. So I did get a chance to kind of talk to him for about three seconds. Well, it was certainly he's had a huge impact. I mean, look at look at all the Apple stores that have been turned into into shrines. People who never got to be within um, you know breathing distance of Steve Jobs obviously were very affected by the things that he said at his Steve notes and by the things that his company uh, has created and sold. So, how does Apple find an encore to that? I guess the hope is that he instilled his DNA into the company so deeply with his deep bench of corporate executives that they can go on in his tradition. I guess the hope, though, is that when they do things, you're not going to keep saying, what would Steve have done? Because that kind of creates tunnel vision. It does. And, you know, I think that there's opportunities, you know, perhaps is sacrilegious to the Apple faithful. But I think there's Go ahead. Be sacrilegious. That's our DNA, too. <laughs> yes. Exactly. You know, because it almost is like a religion. I mean, if you look at some of the pictures that uh, I've seen of his house where people like create a shrine outside his house where they left like special apples, literally apples outside his house or like the various uh, retail stores that have been turned into shrines for him. I mean, the CEO of Hot, Top- of Hot Topic is hoping for the same when he goes, you know, I've never seen a retail store 
um, get that kind of, you know, attention where people actually want to turn it into a shrine. But, you know, I think there's an opportunity here for Apple. You know, obviously they've, they've learned a lot from Steve Jobs. They've learned about how to build, you know, quality products that people want. They've picked up his philosophy of trying to create desire instead of just, you know, reflect it. Instead of just running focus groups and saying, would you like this or would you like that? Um, they picked up his desire to take risks and, and actually, you know, kind of be a leader rather than a follower. And obviously, all of the talented people like Jonathan Ives, uh, who is their lead designer, who's, you know, really the design mind beyond, behind all of Apple's products in the last 10, 12 years. You know, Tim Cook, obviously, the new CEO, uh, Phil Schiller, they've all been there since at least 1998. So, uh, working under jobs. So I think you're going to see a continuation of that. But I also think that there's an opportunity for them to do a few things differently, things that were really kind of part of Steve's, part of his job's you know, individual personality that don't necessarily benefit the company. Um, you know, for example, just the incredible amount of secrecy. I mean, there has been some, you know, obviously benefit in terms of media buzz, but at the same time, I think the level of kind of keeping it quiet, not disclosing a roadmap, not sharing any kind of thoughts about where you want to go with your product lines has hurt Apple as well. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that Tim Cook and all the others are as committed to that level of kind of CIA-level secrecy. That, yeah, but that just Johnson. look at the benefit to Apple. All the free coverage they get, people predicting what they're going to do. Why change it? Because enterprise wants you to change it, because your business partners want you to change it. A lot of IT departments, and, and granted IT is becoming more consumerized, but a lot of IT departments, they want to know what you're coming out with. They want to know, how do I plan my budget? Are you coming out with new MacBooks next year? What kind of refreshes are you planning? You know, are you, Do you think you're going to refresh your phone next year? How long is this phone going to be on the market so I know whether to stock up my, my fleet? You know, how do I plan ahead if I don't know what you're doing? Um, and Intel and Microsoft and just about every other company that has serious uh, play in the enterprise gives people a sense of what they're doing in advance. They telegraph what they're doing. We're, you're able to test Windows 8 right now, and it's not coming out for a year. Uh, that's for better or worse. I'm testing prepare. it, by the way. I have Windows 8 running on my Mac under Parallel's desktop, and they have a special update that just came out with bug fixes and integrated support. So you could basically get decent performance from Windows 8. But the point is Apple has become the number one company on the planet by market cap by being the way they are. You know, there's no incentive to change. You know, that's true, but there's always room for growth. And the question is, how many of the things, how many of their business practices have been absolutely behind their success or have just been kind of peripheral choices? Like, is Apple, is the iPhone a success because Apple is so secretive about it? Or is the iPhone a success because it's a good product? I mean, I... I like to think it's the product. Yeah, I, I think I would too. So, I mean... If they're able to sort of disclose, okay, look, we expect that we're going to refresh these every year or, you know, in the future we see ourselves going here. I mean, I think that would be to their benefit. 
I understand that Steve Jobs famously hated focus groups and he hated getting feedback, but I think there's some benefit out there to kind of telling people where you're going and giving them a good sense of, of what's of what's next. I mean, last month I attended I attended the Intel Developer Forum and they're talking about not just their next processor that's coming out, you know, in you know, maybe March or, or April of next year. They're talking about the processor after that. They're giving people a sense of where they're going, which is Yes, but remember that Intel plan. is selling to all these other companies. Intel has to give a roadmap because companies who build hardware that incorporates Intel chips have to know that. But Apple is a consumer of Intel's chips, but also they design their own chips. They don't have to tell anybody about that because nobody else is buying them. That's true. They don't need to, I mean, it's not coming from sort of component perspective, but, you know, that allows large customers um, to buy. I think certainly Apple believes that secrecy is a good policy. I mean, you know, obviously when the iPhone 4 prototype leaked out, um, one of the things that Steve Jobs apparently told Jason Chen of Gizmodo, who got the iPhone 4 prototype last year, was that they were losing all kinds of sales of the 3GS, the previous model, because people were knew that the iPhone 4 was coming. But, you know, it's, it, it's a policy with pluses, with pluses and minuses, and it's not seen really anywhere else in the industry. I mean, most other... I mean, just from a press perspective, doing an interview with someone from Apple, doing a press briefing with someone from Apple is, is kind of a, you know, I mean, obviously when they, they when the big people like Tim Cook or Steve Jobs, um, you know, when he was with us, uh, you know, would come out and, and do an interview, they might have something interesting to say, but you could never sort of get an insight into what's really going on, what's the thinking, what's the message. They always are sort of like, okay, here, here's our spec sheet, We'll read it to you. Basically, they have a can spiel, and that's what they give you. We're talking to Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Ray Perkins. A reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockaways. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, Attack. Of the Rockaway, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. How would you like to have normal blood pressure? This is Ernesto from Illinois. I had my doctor's appointment yesterday and I got my labs in. My HDL is 119L and my LDL is 37L. 
My doctor asked what I was doing to lower it so much, so I told her about HB Extract. Millions of people like Ernesto are suffering from high blood pressure, congestive heart failure, unbalanced cholesterol, irregular heartbeat, and clogged arteries. But now there's an effective, natural, 100% organic nutritional supplement for a healthy heart and circulation. Heart and Body Extract. My blood pressure has not gone past 125 over 80 in almost a month. Experience amazing benefits when your body gets what it needs with the assistance of Heart and Body Extract. She did a double take when she looked at my ER labs. She couldn't believe it. Order at HBExtract.com or call 866-295-5305. That's HBExtract.com or call 866-295-5305. Thank you. Heart and Body Extract. Keeping food on hand for emergencies protects you the same way as does insurance on your home or car. With Freeze-Dry Guy freeze-dried foods in your food reserve, you can be ready for just about any unexpected crisis. Right now, for the month of October 2011, Freeze-Dry Guy is letting their customers get first dibs on the meat bucket special. That's roasted chicken, Southwest-style chicken, teriyaki-style chicken, stroganoff-style beef, cheesy ground beef, and savory roasted ground beef. Just add hot water and enjoy. Portable, easy, convenient. Real meat, real good. Supplies won't last with this special offer. Order today to beef up your freeze-dried meat supply. You'll even get $20 back in survival bucks or loyalty dollars when you beat the rush and order our freeze-dried meat buckets. Go to freezedryguy.com. That's freezedryguy.com. Or call 866-404-3663. That's 866-404-FOOD. Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top-selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market today. We offer a two-week free trial and a lifetime warranty. Visit us at CrossbreedHolsters.com. Don't forget, CrossbreedHolsters.com. Question. When the next disaster strikes, will you be ready? Answer. Yes. If you have top quality survival gear from the survivalzone.com, these days it's wise to keep a survival kit in your vehicle, home, and office. The survivalzone.com specializes in ready to go wilderness, 72 hour, and compact survival kits, plus freeze dried and dehydrated food, MREs, stun guns, non hybrid seeds, and much more. Call 603 838 5933 to be prepared with the survivalzone.com. What are you listening to? The Tech Night Isle Live with Gene Steinberg. What's going to happen next? You never know. With Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine at LaptopMag.com, talking briefly about Apple, how they might change, whether the policy of being secretive will change, although Apple has certainly found ways to leverage that into great success so time will tell. Let's look into some other subjects. While Apple is on the growth path with the iPhone and the iPad, Research in Motion has had their troubles. They tried the BlackBerry playbook. It went nowhere. Their products are perceived to be somewhat out of date. And there is a problem with the way I think that the service is organized. They have all their email going through their servers. So if you sign up, you've got to basically run all your email through their servers for better or worse. Is that the way it works? Yeah, it's it's amazing. I was just doing some research into this because 
you know, personally, I haven't done a lot of BlackBerry using myself. I, I had a company, BlackBerry, you know, a couple jobs ago, uh, and I never, you know, had quite the grasp on how it works technologically in the back end. But for your listener, for the benefit of your listeners who don't, and I was actually surprised at how many tech journalists I met who who didn't have a full grasp of how this works. If you have a BlackBerry device, if you whether it's a business BlackBerry phone or a personal BlackBerry phone that you've just decided to buy for yourself, your email gets routed through BlackBerry servers before it gets to you. It, uh, and this is regardless of what service you use for your email. Right. It could be. That's what's so strange about it. it could be so basically, I can have my email hosted by iWeb, our web host that we deal with, or Namecheap, or GoDaddy or Rackspace, right. or I could be using Gmail, I could be using Yahoo, AOL, my local ISP Cox, regardless of what my email address is, from the BlackBerry it goes to their servers and then sent to these other places. Yep. It, it goes through their servers, and so when their servers went down or got you know clogged up this week, people didn't get their email no matter where, you know, what email service they were actually using. Now, to me, that's an amazingly, you know, terrible thing for business because you've just introduced what the IT department likes to call a, a point of failure. So you have your corporate email, like, which is not run by BlackBerry. It's an, you know, for a lot of businesses, it's an exchange server or it's Lotus Notes. And if you're a large business, you probably have your own servers that you own in your data center. And if you're a small business, you might be paying any of, you know, a hundred different hosting services to host for you. Uh, but that's your, you know, that's your main email service. And if that fails, then you know, then your users don't get email. But you have some control over. You have more control over who's responsible for that box, and and you know what the policies on that box are. Now, if you're a business that uses BlackBerry, you've always also had to route the mail through their server to get it to the BlackBerry phones. So now you've got two different places where your mail could fail. First is your primary, is your actual email server, and then is BlackBerry. So you've introduced a second, you know, a second weak spot where you can fail, and you don't have a choice of who's administrating it. It's got to be RIM. So it 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 seems kind of ludicrous in this day and age to be to be dependent on RIM to actually control your email. Now, now do they do this as a matter of security to provide better security for the phone? It it has that as one of its main benefits. So the point of BlackBerry Enterprise Server, um, which is the which is the software that a business can use to administrate uh, mobile email through BlackBerry is that it allows your IT department to do all kinds of, you know, all kinds of things such as, you know, encrypt your mail, decide what mail you get and what you don't, download just the headers, um, you know, remote wipe your phone. Um, and also it's push mail, which means that um, instead of having your phone go out and periodically check the mail server to see are there new messages, it acts more like an SMS message and it just kind of is pushed out from, um, 
you know, from BlackBerry to you, which saves you on saves you some battery life as your phone's not pulling the server. So basically, when you get email, it pushes it to you, regardless right. of the source. Now, I have to tell you that Apple's Mobile Me and now iCloud, that email system also has push capabilities. Right, exactly. The other thing is, you know, I use I use an Android phone, and and my company, which recently acquired Laptop, uses Exchange. Using the simple built-in stock email client for for Android, I'm able to connect to the company's Exchange server. There's no middleman. I do not have to go through Google. I do not have to go through BlackBerry. I do not have to go through some other third party to check my email. My phone simply goes out on the internet and checks the server here. Now, is it is it push? No, it's pull, but I don't think most people would notice the difference between push and pull email because if your phone is going out every minute or two and checking the server for new messages or the thing is pushing the the messages to you, it's basically the same difference. Now, there's another feature, by the way, in IMAP mail, which is a very common system of email, where they use idle, where basically... You're always logged in, and as the email comes, it's pulled every so many seconds, so you get messages almost as fast as they arrive. It doesn't right. work with all systems. I don't think it works, say, with an iPhone, but it works on your desktop Mac where the idle feature is basically supported. Okay, so forgetting about the system for the moment, let's look at the problem. The problem being you have a single source of failure. You don't have BlackBerry servers all around the world. They're all in Canada, right? No, well, I mean, they have redundancy. I believe they actually have boxes in different data centers. I'm sure they do because... I hope they do. Every website does. But yet, even so, in their system, it failed in Europe, and then somehow the failure of a switch that was supposed to roll over um, to another system didn't work, so it failed in America Next. And what happened was they didn't lose people's mail, but the mail got backed up, and they're, you know, they were as of the middle of the week, they were slowly restoring it. But what happened is, I mean, companies probably lost potentially millions or billions of dollars. You know, I have, I have a friend who works for, you know, for an investment bank, and the bank gives him a BlackBerry, and I saw him while this was going on, and he said, yeah, I haven't gotten email all day. Well, what if that email that he didn't get was about, you know, some kind of, tra- you know, multi-million dollar transaction or stock trade that needed to happen now? I think this is a huge problem for for companies that, that rely on RIM for this critical service. And it really calls into question, why are you relying on them? It's absolutely not necessary in this day and age. It does provide some benefits in terms of manageability and security, but you can now get a lot of those benefits through using Microsoft Exchange or using other services and other software that works on iOS and Android or even maybe Windows Phone 7. You know, it it just doesn't seem to make sense in 2011 like it made sense in 2006. Well, of course, there's also a move on the part of some of the stockholders from Research in Motion to throw out the management and make big changes. Yeah, I mean, I, they're obviously not happy with the co with the co CEOs of of Rim. I'm sure I'm going to be exposed to what. Uh, as it turns out, next week I'm going to be attending BlackBerry DevCon uh, to see what sort of new things they might be launching. And I'm sure at that event, you know, the co CEOs are going to uh, try and put people's minds at ease about what their plans are because they're very big on not 
you know, they don't seem to want to relinquish control of the company or, or change their roles. Of course, they are the founders of the company. And I guess they couldn't decide amongst themselves whether one should be CEO, one should be COO, one should be chairman. They had to have the same position. So you wonder about making final decisions if one couldn't decide to be the leader and one couldn't decide to be not the leader as they go and as they say. We have Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com you can bet your life on eFoods Direct. Alex has told you about the amazing, great-tasting, long-term storable food from eFoods Direct and how a food savings account is your best insurance against natural disasters, job loss, and high food costs. But did you know that this dehydrated food also protects you against foodborne contaminants like E. coli and salmonella? Those poisonous critters can't live in low-moisture food from eFoods Direct. Ask for the Alex Fall Special. The Fall Special is a 24-day supply of food in a convenient Portable container. A $259 value for only $199. Save $60 on 160 servings of the best food on the planet. Call 800 409 5633 and ask for the Alex Fall Special and go to eFoodsDirect.com slash Alex. Call 24 hours 800 409 5633 or eFoodsDirect.com slash Alex. You can bet your life on eFoodsDirect. What's been the problem with phone companies? High prices and contracts that lock you in for two years minimum. Not FreedomTelephones.com. Freedom Telephones are designed around the concept and reality of patriotism, loyalty, and privacy. With FreedomTelephones.com, there are no contracts, no credit checks, and no social security numbers required. That's why our name is FreedomTelephones.com. Finally, residential, mobile, and business telephones and plans that are private and never lock you into a long-term contract. Want a low price? Residential and business plans start at only $14.99, and mobile plans start at just $39.99. Plus, every month you pay your bill, FreedomTelephones.com contributes to your favorite GCN programs. Don't wait. Support the cause and get the highest quality and the lowest prices by calling one 800 600 5553. That's 800-600-5553. FreedomTelephones.com. Portable. Private. Perfect. 
We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System today complete with two black Berkey elements for only $231 and the Berkey guy will ship your order free of charge. With the purchase of a Berkey light, the Berkey guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only $39.99. That's over 30% off the retail price. Call the Berkey guy at 1-877-886-3653. That's 1-877-886-3653. Or order online at GoBerkey.com. That's GoBerkey.com today. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl Live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. The woes of research in motion we've discussed, and the most recent problem, a big failure on their servers causing a major email outage because all the mail on BlackBerry is routed through their data centers. We're talking with Avram Pilch on the Tech Night Out Live. Now, I wonder, President Obama has had a BlackBerry. Does that mean that all the White House confidential email on his BlackBerry goes through Research and Motion's computers? So what we heard back in, you know, 08 after Obama was elected was that he wanted to keep his BlackBerry, but uh, the Secret Service didn't want him to, ostensibly for that reason, uh, because the mail gets routed through through BlackBerry servers, uh, and then they, they gave him a, either a special BlackBerry or something that is like a BlackBerry. It's been a little unclear, I think, what exactly he has. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, somebody like the CIA has a way to kind of short-circuit the routing so it doesn't go through, um, you know, it doesn't go through research and motions hardware. You have to think that maybe they make special deals with governments. They'd have to. But then why don't they make that why don't they make that deal with a Fortune 500 company that is using them? Well, I who knows, you know, it really bothers me about research and motion whether they'll ever figure out a way to become relevant again. I mean, you think of BlackBerry, nobody thinks of BlackBerry. They'll think about your Android phone, they'll certainly think about the iPhone. Look at the pre-orders for the iPhone 4S, which was first perceived to be just a minor upgrade, but everybody wants one. So in that case, people working in business want iPhones, and research in motion needs to remain relevant. But how long do they have to fix the damage right now? This is a big piece of damage, what happened with their servers. How long do they have to get everything together before people are just going to abandon them in droves? I think the problem is is a lot worse than the server outage. I think the server outage is going to finally start to push some businesses away from BlackBerry that were diehards. Frankly, I talked to our head of IT at, at my company today, and I asked him, uh, we don't issue BlackBerrys, by the way, I asked him, though, what was his opinion? Is there a role for BlackBerry you know, why would would he want something like BlackBerry Enterprise Server? Could he even see a purpose for it? And he said, not anymore. He said, there's absolutely no purpose 
uh, to using the BlackBerry Enterprise server today when you have things like Exchange and ActiveSync that will work with some with your employees' Android or iPhone, he doesn't see the purpose of introducing that extra point of failure of paying the money that you have to pay to run a BlackBerry Enterprise server. Of all of those things, it, it was it's just it's kind of a remnant of the past. And I think more and more IT departments are going to start to see the need to issue company phones to employees as a thing of the past. And once they get out of the business of issuing company phones to people, um, then BlackBerry is in even worse shape than it is now. Now, they still have needs for security, and they're still very concerned about what happens to your email um, or your calendar or your contacts once they're on your phone. And that's where you see a lot of neat solutions uh, like this program called Entropoid Divide that we saw at the CTIA show, uh, which allows your phone to actually sort of have like two different profiles, one for business and one for for home, and like literally you, you can switch between the two of them, and the one that's for business, your IT department has control over, can wipe it um, if, if you quit your job or lose your phone, and, and can remote administrate, and then the other that belongs to you. I think the days of people carrying two phones in their in their pockets where one is a BlackBerry that the company gave you and the other is your iPhone are coming to an end very quickly. And I think it's going to be the case that more and more companies are just going to say, you know, bring your own smartphone. Um, it's, you know, it's what uh, people in the industry like to call the consumerization of IT. Well, of course, I guess they could say also, well, we only support these particular models, but obviously Apple has done things to make the iPhone friendlier to the enterprise. So that's important. I'm assuming that Google hopes that Android phones will be friendly to the enterprise. And where does that leave Microsoft? If Research in Motion fails, does that give another avenue for Microsoft to get in there and get some traction? You know, in theory it would, because Windows Mobile, before they went to Windows Phone 7, you know, Windows Mobile, which was up to version 6.5 of their phone operating system, was very popular with business with big business, uh, but it also, um, you know, gave gave businesses the freedom to run their own servers, unlike BlackBerry. Um, but when they moved to Windows Phone 7, which is now up to Windows Phone 7.5, they became much more consumer focused in how they designed their interface and how they designed the software. So they've lost a lot of traction. Uh, in the enterprise, Windows Phone 7 is not widely seen as a business uh, operating system. But there's still an opportunity for them there. Uh, I think they need to make a better case um, as to why you know, Windows Phone 7 is a good business product, you know, what the killer sort of business apps for it are. You know, uh, I think there's some issues with the fact that they don't ha- they don't have the best hardware right now on Windows Phone 7. You know they're like BlackBerry. They're a couple generations behind in terms of specs. But unlike BlackBerry, they don't have many keyboarded phones, and a lot of businesses do like the keyboarded phones. Uh, so I think they they've got some challenges, but there's certainly the doors open for them. Maybe with Nokia getting into the business, um, that could help. I mean, certainly we've seen. You know, Dell has tried its hand at coming out with a Windows Phone 7 uh, phone, the Venue Pro, that was kind of business-oriented. 
so I think there's opportunity for them. And if rim goes under, you know, there's going to be a lot more opportunity to go around in terms of supplying phones to the enterprise. But the enterprise doesn't need to start doling, to keep doling out phones to its employees. And that's what, and I think that's what a lot of people are finding. We'll have to keep focusing on this and see what happens in the near future. With the launch of the iPhone 4S, the coming Nokia phones with Windows Phone 7.5, Windows 8 next year and how it relates to the mobile space, lots more. We only have a couple of moments left. You reviewed one of the first Ultrabooks, these slim, light form factor notebooks similar to the MacBook Air. Now, you only have a minute to tell us about it. What did you think? So we reviewed the Acer S3 this week, uh, this past week, and it was actually a huge disappointment for $899. The hard drive was incredibly slow. It lasted under five hours on a charge, and they wanted $899 for this thing. Now, we're looking forward to ASUS's offering, the UX31, uh, which is going to have a nice SSD and a high-res screen and better build quality. Uh, but the bottom line is Ultrabooks can make a real dent in the notebook market Intel thinks that they're going to make up 40% of notebook sales by next year, but they're going to have to be more than light and thin. They're going to have to be good quality. And so, as always, we're going to have to separate the wheat from the chaff. Now, with a SSD, it's not going to be an 899 notebook. It's going to be 999 or 1099, right? Yeah, but it's well worth it's well worth $100. Well, that's, of course, what Apple is offering with the MacBook Air, $999. And I gather they're selling just about as many as they can build. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Apple was a leader in this space. I think there's room for PC makers um, to compete with Apple on on features. There are people, obviously, who like the Windows ecosystem. uh, But there's also, you know, opportunities. For example, Asus's UX31 has a higher resolution screen, a faster SSD with higher capacity, uh, and potentially better sound. Where can we find more information about Laptop Magazine? Uh, obviously, you can check out all of our news and reviews at LaptopMag.com. You can see my weekly columns at LaptopMag.com slash GeeksGeek. And you can follow me on Twitter at, at GeekInChief. And you can follow us on Twitter at TechNightHow. That's TechNightHow at Twitter. Our message boards, newly updated forums, forum.technighthow.com, forum.technighthow.com. Check them out better than ever. And we have that other radio show, The Paracast, about UFOs and things that go bump in the night and a really wacky, woolly show this week. I won't say more. A special thank you to Avram Pilch for joining us this week on the Tech Night Owl Live. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. The Tech Night Owl Live is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. We'll be back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel.